you felt it. Yes. Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. Chewie, we're home. Hosted by Arnie. Even you have never faced such a test. Stuart. Come on, baby, don't let me down. And Jacob. I'll show them the power of the darkness. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as they review another Star Wars film. Leading up to the new film, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Are we really doing this? This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers. I got a bad feeling about this. Listener discretion is advised. Sure you're up for this? Hell no. Today we're discussing Star Wars, The Force Awakens, starring Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher... Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, directed by J.J. Abrams. Who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I, do I talk first? I'll talk first. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Play. Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob, who you can call murderer, traitor, or thief. Just one of your friends. <laughs> We're here. Finally. A new Star Wars film. And you know, it made me realize, I don't even know, is this a trilogy they're beginning, or is this just going to be an unlimited number of episodes after this point? Is this the start of many, many chapters, or another three-part story? My understanding is this is a three-part story, because this is episode seven, directed by J.J. Abrams. Looper director Ryan Johnson has been contracted to do eight and nine. So they know they're doing nine, seven, eight, and nine were all kind of conceived at the same time. Now, that doesn't mean nine is going to be completely conclusive and that they may not just make this a never-ending episodic thing. But I think the fans and the creators are considering this the next trilogy and looking at them as trilogies of movies where the main episodes focus on the Skywalker clan and then the anthology stories will be something else. So why did they do it? I mean, I know that George... Money. Yes, <laughs> probably was just ready to sell at this point in his life, but Disney made a big investment. I think it was, what, $4 billion to acquire this franchise? Billion with a B. That's like a number you use on national defense, not on movies. <laughs> Gross national products of small countries. Not even small, big countries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, a, a very impressive number. And one that, funny enough now, I mean, the movie a raging success, but many were concerned they wouldn't make good on their investment. Here's the true behind the scenes. I mean, everybody knows the basics. Disney bought Lucasfilm, and when they bought Lucasfilm the same day, they announced a new Star Wars movie every year. But it wasn't all Disney. What had happened is Lucas started looking at retirement. He'd been doing the Clone Wars for several years, but he was now newly married. He wanted to get out of the game. So he decided he wanted Star Wars to last. And how would it last? Well, he always liked Disney. He always thought that the Disney company did a great job of maintaining, not just protecting, although they do that too. Yeah, from one evil empire to the other. <laughs> yeah. But the way that Mickey Mouse is still relevant to generations today and those old movies are still relevant today and they keep updating and bringing back their franchises. So he wanted... Renewing their copyright. That's what you wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not letting it fall into public domain. Ever. 
and buying senators to make sure it doesn't. But he was thinking about selling to them. So Lucas decided he had to prove Star Wars was viable again. So he got together with Harrison and Mark and Carrie and said, hey, we're going to make episode seven. And we're going to put out episode seven. And then it's going to make so much money that we're going to prove that we are worth a really high selling point, And we're going to sell it to another company and they can make eight and nine and I'll give them my scripts. So he planned on making episode seven himself. And then he just started sniffing around Disney to give them hints. And Bob Iger and he met and meetings went very well. And Lucas never had to make episode seven. Thank the maker. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I hate to uh, presume that the piece that he would make would not be as good as the movies we're talking about today. But yeah, I'll go out on that ledge. I'll make that claim. Yeah, I think we're better off having it go to a new generation. That's what this movie's all about. JJ agrees with you because Lucas had script outlines and the entire intent when the purchase happened is we're going to continue Lucas's stories. We're going to look at these script outlines and we're going to work on them. And Lucas was working with Michael Arndt, who is a credited writer here, fleshing out the script based upon the Skywalker grandchildren. It was basically Anakin was the first trilogy, Luke was the second, and the next generation, the offspring that Luke is training would be the third trilogy. And Something happened. J.J. was unhappy with the story coming out of Lucas and Arndt. And so basically he fired both of them. Yes, he fired <laughs> Lucas. Lucas has gone on record saying, I gave them my story ideas. It was about the Skywalker grandkids and they're not using a bit of it. So I am not involved. So Arndt is credited, but Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan, writer of Empire Strikes Back, was hired by J.J., and brought back, and Kasdan and J.J. cracked this new story about new characters that will carry the saga forward. But it tells me right away, this is something new. This is not Lucas's Star Wars. Lucas had an idea for these movies, and J.J. and maybe K.K. said no. And I remember way back when Disney did buy Lucasfilm, we, we had a roundtable over at Star Wars Action News, and I was fairly positive about the acquisition. Not that I'm a Disney fan or anything, but I felt like those are pretty safe hands to keep the franchise in. I mean, they, they know how to make movies that make money, and they, you know... Their movies tend to be pretty good. They might skew a little younger than me. But, you know, they do a lot of cartoons and stuff. But I was fairly positive of building up to this film. Like, yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan, but I, I didn't get caught up in any hype. I, I really didn't have any expectations going in. I, I didn't know what to expect, where this was going to go. I did end up seeing it three times, though, which surprised even me. I, I saw it once. And I'm like, I only need to see this thing once. And then I saw it once. I'm like... I got a lot of thoughts. I need to see it again and again. So I've seen it three times for this podcast. This one crept up on me. I know it sounds funny, but I forgot this movie was coming out. I've, our workload has been so heavy. It was rather easy to not pay attention to this movie. I didn't even realize until the week it was coming out. Hey, this is actually happening. I'm going to go and watch this movie. I didn't know much about this. But I also saw this three times like Jacob did. The first one, I went to the marathon. I did it. You completed it this time. I did. No dogs died during this marathon, thank God. That's always a good thing, yes. But this one was shorter. It started at 4 a.m. and ended at 10 p.m. Did they go in episode order? They went 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, which as Marjorie put it, right when you need nap time is during the good ones. Yeah, well, at 4 a.m. you could sleep through one and two. There you go. That's a plan. Show up late. 
<laughs> with the original trilogy, what versions did they show? They showed the Blu-ray editions. They still had the 20th Century Fox fanfare, but they had the creepy blinking eyes, and the audience booed once, just once. Stuart, you said I was making too big a deal over nothing with that Hayden Christensen ghost. The audience booed <laughs> the ghost. There were some rumblings of disagreement when Greedo shot first, but that ghost got out and out booze. You're talking about in Jedi when yes. he's there yes. with, with Ben and everything. Okay. Well, okay. Somebody pointed out, how the hell would Luke know who that is? You pointed out the audience wouldn't know the old man. They'd know Hayden. But Luke wouldn't know Hayden. He'd know the old man. So I sat through it. I was so glad I did, though, because even though it was a bit of a chore, and even though I was kind of tired, way too tired to take notes during The Force Awakens... I really had never done this marathon this way before, and man, the prequel trilogy really does feel different from the original trilogy, and Episode Seven's a new beast on its own, and watching them just all sequentially, it, that drives that home. Yeah, I definitely feel that. As someone that doesn't take part in the larger universe, there does feel like, I think maybe sometimes figures or books or comics or cartoons can smooth over those differences, but when you look strictly at these movies, no doubt about it. Those prequels are very, very different tonally, content-wise, all of it. Uh, very much different from the old trilogy, and I agree. We're off to different pastures here as well. Yeah, it's not just the CGI in the originals, just the whole feel is very different. And admittedly, the first trilogy is a tragedy, the second trilogy is a redemption. I'm not saying they should feel the same. And they do feel cohesive, but man, they just totally different vibes to them and then yeah we will talk about episode seven and they feel like they're in different eras which they are i mean there's what the prequel trilogy is 18 20 years before the original trilogy for going chronologically here this one's taking place this new one's gonna take 30 years after the original trilogy I, I, it should feel a little different at least and man that was brought home by my theatrical experience i only saw this once i didn't know i was supposed to see it three times i just went opening <laughs> night you're not the fan Stuart. you don't have to <laughs> no yeah i went to the very first show and so it was filled with people you know there's cosplay there's exciting people but it was very clear from the audience most of them were young and the guy sitting next to me, I was so happy because he was so jazzed. He could barely sit in his seat. He was like, this is the first time I'm seeing Star Wars in theaters and it's going to be good. You know, he was like, I saw the prequels when I was a kid, but man, I've never seen a good one in theaters and this is going to be great. And so I was like, great, I'm going to be able to gauge the super fans reaction second by second as we go through this. But he was young, and most of the theater-going audience, eh, is about half and half. There were old-school fans, but a lot of the most enthusiastic cosplayers were 20-somethings. Well, and I think if you're looking at the crowd you're trying to grab, look, kids are going to like Star Wars. When I talked about showing these to my stepdaughter, her favorite one was the original 77 with Phantom Menace right behind that as her favorite. I, I think with kids, they're going to go with the Star Wars universe probably no matter what. It is, I think, those jaded Generation Xers like us that, that grew up on the originals and some of us that felt burned with those prequels. That was the crowd they're trying to win back here. I just knew I was watching Star Wars. So, Arnie, why don't you tell them what we saw? We can get into the plot, get into Force Awaken. Luke Skywalker has gone missing. In the time between Return of the Jedi and now, Luke formed an academy training new Jedi. But sometime before The Force Awakens begins, Han Solo and Leia's son, Ben, played by Adam Driver, was seduced by the dark side of the Force. 
Under the influence of Supreme Leader Snoke, mocap and voiced by Andy Serkis, Ben becomes Kylo Ren, master of the Knights of Ren, and betrays Luke, killing the students. So Luke, much like Yoda before him, decided, well, I lost, I must flee into exile, and is rumored to be searching for the first Jedi Temple. But now we're 30 years after the Battle of Endor, the New Republic rules the galaxy, but the remnants of the Empire have reorganized under Snoke and call themselves the First Order, led by General Hux, played by Donald Gleason. The First Order has created a new weapon called Starkiller Base. It is a planet with the power to destroy any other planet in the universe. Where have I heard of that before? Well, this was a planet. The Death Star was a ship. (laughs) Very different. And much bigger. (laughs) Much bigger. They make a point of that. (laughs) But size matters not. Both the First Order, as well as the New Republic military unit called the Resistance, are desperate to find Luke. The First Order believes killing Luke ensures their victory, while the Resistance believes Luke can create new Jedis and ensure their own win. The clue to finding Luke is in a map held by Lor Santeca, an old friend of Leia's played by, or should I say, wasted on Max von Sydow. Yeah, well, we got to talk about that. Why is he in this? Star Resistance pilot Poe Dameron, played by Oster Isaac, has gone to the desert world Jakku to get the map, but the First Order has followed Poe. They destroy the village, kill Lor Santeca, and capture Poe. But Poe has put the Death Star plans at Art's... Poe has put the map inside his roly droid BB-8 who fled into the desert. Poe is interrogated, and Kylo Ren discovers the droid's secret. Hux sends troops to find the droid. Meanwhile, Poe escapes, aided by defecting stormtrooper FN-2187, who Poe names Finn. The two crash on Jakku, each believing the other killed. Finn makes his way to the local settlement, where he finds BB-8 in the possession of Rey, played by Daisy Ridley, a junker on the desert planet. Finn lies and says he's part of the Resistance, and he and Rey flee a First Order attack on a hunk of junk starship that happens to be the Millennium Falcon. The two are soon captured by Han Solo and Chewbacca, returning Harrison Ford and Peter Mayhew, who want their ship back. Han quickly takes to the two and even offers Rey a job. He then takes them to his contact Maz Katana, who he hopes will get BB-8 to Leia. But Maz refuses to help, and in Maz's basement, Rey finds Luke's lightsaber, you know, the one he lost on Bespin, that fell down to a gas planet, like Jupiter. Somebody went and got it. But touching the saber gives Rey a vision, so she runs off into the woods, where she's captured by Kylo Ren as the First Order attacks. The First Order also uses Starkiller base to destroy a planet, alerting the Resistance to the danger. So Finn, Han, and Chewie go to the base to disable the shields and rescue Rey, while Poe and the X-Wing pilots attack the base from space. They have to do this before the station fires again, destroying the planet where the Resistance leaders hide. They find Rey, who has tapped into her hidden force powers and started her own escape. But on the base, Han encounters Kylo Ren, his son. At Leia's urging, Han tries to reconnect with who he calls Ben, but Kylo Ren cuts Han down with a lightsaber, killing the old smuggler. Ren then engages Finn in a lightsaber fight before Rey accepts her own Force heritage and calls the saber to her hand. She defeats Ren in combat, but doesn't kill him. So Chewie, Rey, and the injured Finn flee the base as pilots destroy it, and that done, Rey uses the map to find where Luke is hiding, and she goes and finds the old Jedi Master, but they don't say to a word to each other before credits roll. So basically, it's the plot of A New Hope, only without the emotional stakes, right? I'm glad you're pointing that out, because the shocker was, you know, given how much 
suppression there was in keeping plot points out there. The real surprise is I've seen most of this movie before. That, yeah, that a lot of this are callbacks and attempts to awaken our love of Star Wars by replaying its best moments in a splashy new way. That's not necessarily a criticism, but it was a surprise that this movie, you know, other than uh, the origins of the evil character and the death of a certain beloved character, there's really not much that you wouldn't imagine happening, happening in this movie. And keep in mind, A New Hope killed Obi-Wan. I expected someone to be an Obi-Wan here. It just happened to be Han. And I wonder how much of this is is just fan expectation or just moviegoer expectation. Because I look, this is like the new way to reboot things. Like last time J.J. rebooted something, he blew up the entire past with Star Trek and started anew. But I look at like this year's films, Jurassic Park, like we're going to hit a lot of the same beats of that original one that you guys all love. We're going to do a lot to remind you of that original film, Creed. We're going to do a lot to remind you of that original Rocky and hit all those same beats, but with a different character. I've said it with the Marvel films. I'm, how many films is going to be about a superhero going after a magical gem? I, I hear the criticism here, but I look at the Phantom Menace. A Skywalker is rescued from the desert by an old man and ends up blowing up a big ball in the sky. Like, yes, I, I think there are surprises here because it does feel kind of derivative of A New Hope. But I also think that's how they're kind of doing soft reboots these days is we're going to take that first one that you have nostalgia, that you love. And we're just going to kind of update it with new characters. The good news is it means they still fear us. That's Generation X and the people that first came to Star Wars still matter to the people making these movies. They want to please us. (laughs) They want to give those old characters a good arc, even as clearly the focus here is on the new characters, which I'm going to say, I think I like better than the old characters. The new characters... I think they did something right. They got people who could act with a director who could get people to act. (laughs) I'll agree. They got people who could act. How much of that is J.J.? I don't know. I'll I'll be able to tell you how much of it's J.J. when we get to Harrison Ford. True. But we spend the first half an hour of the film on the new characters. And my God, if people complain George Lucas was casting too white, here's a radical change. Not a single new character except for the bad guy is a white male. And you don't even see him. He's wearing a mask. I still (laughs) thought there was possible that that was Luke under there for at least a little bit. (laughs) Well, when I saw this for the third time, I took my wife and she's like, that's Han Solo. That sounds like Han Solo. I'm like, okay, hmm, interesting. (laughs) Then she's like, no, it's Princess Leia. I'm like, oh, you are so close. (laughs) (laughs) She's half right on both. Yes. (laughs) What I've done with all these other Star Wars films, let's talk about this crawl. Let's get right to the beginning. And... Something that says good to me, something that gives me positive feelings is we're back to simple crawls. Like we talked about those prequels and there's the Senate and there's this union and then that tech thing. And here, Luke is missing. The First Order wants him dead. General Leia is looking for him. And she sent her pilot to go get something that's going to help find him. I'll say best crawl ever. Just looking at it strictly from writing. Because we know who the characters mentioned are, Luke Skywalker, General, don't call her princess, Leia Organa. Because we know them, it's setting up the universe in a very simple, straightforward way that does not involve trade federations and other overly complicated things. Yet, if we didn't know who they were, if you were a youngin or a newbie coming in without any clue, it'd 
sets it up the exact same way the original A New Hope set up Death Star and Princess Leia and such. So I think this is really well written and yeah, a really good crawl. Yeah, it it reminds me of episode four. The idea that, you know, there were droids that ended up on a planet and they have this MacGuffin that everybody wants. That's kind of what's happening here, that an old ally has a clue to Luke's whereabouts I guess that's supposed to be Max von Sydow? Who? I thought this would be someone I'd know. It, it is Max von Sydow. It's not supposed to be him. That That is the actual actor. No, well, an old ally implies to me it was someone from the old series. But no, it's just an old man that we've well, never seen before. And I looked it up because I was convinced that that would be somebody from Rebels. I know that there's a Jedi Master in Rebels, Kanan, one who survived Order 66. No, this guy, nobody. Really? Because I, I, I'm i figuring, okay, he's coming back as a Force ghost or something in the next film. Why do you get Max of Anseed out for this? And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is real time, you know, 30 years, 30-something years after Return of the Jedi. So uh, there weren't other Jedi that we know of around that time, but... Why Van Cedow for this role if this character's no one and is never coming back? I think they just wanted uh, someone that's a peer of Peter Cushing and <laughs> Christopher Lee. You know, he, he isn't exactly the same thing, but he, he has sort of the same swagger. I, I do think of Max von Sydow as being one of those cool old European guys, and I'm happy to see him. It, you know, I think he gets the movie's best dig against Lucas. This will begin to make things right. <laughs> Ouch! Man, if that doesn't imply that something went wrong with the prequels, nothing else would. And as for why Max von Sydow, this thing is littered, and I use that word literally, with cameos and minor appearances, Daniel Craig, Simon Pegg, Max von Sydow, so many people. I don't know if it's JJ just calling on friends or people saying, hey, I'd like to be in The Force Awakens, but yeah. Given that you never see the actors, I think it's the actors just saying, I want a parole in Star Wars, I'll do whatever. But yeah, he, he's there. I wish we knew who he was. I wish they'd gotten somebody else there. Billy D was like knocking on Disney's door. Hey, can I have a role? Yeah, I <laughs> was wondering where Lando is, especially when we get to the Resistance. They could have gotten anyone left over, but when he's giving Poe this data chip or this little packet. A USB drive. They're not saying what it is. All of a sudden, I'm like, you're not going to Mission Impossible 3 this, are you? Is this whole <laughs> movie going to be, we don't know what's in the pouch and we're never told what's in the pouch? That's the rabbit's foot? Is that what you're saying? I am saying it's the rabbit's foot is what I feared. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I don't think it makes too much sense that Luke would go into hiding, but have a map that got broken up in two about where he was going to hang out. No, it's a useless MacGuffin. The fact that it's a map to Luke, I like. The fact that later on, halfway through the movie, they go, oh, it's only part of the map. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> that is stupid. I think they have the half that matters, too. They have the end point, and, you know... That's what I don't get with this map. I guess they say it's an uncharted system or something, so they need the more familiar part. If it's not in their archives, it doesn't exist. And they need <laughs> an old droid and a new droid to work together to make that vision happen. I I do like that, because partly I just love this new droid. BB-8. I will say, I think as Star Wars fans, and Arnie, you can speak for yourself, but I feel like, we feel like BB-8 has like been shoved in our faces with all this merchandise. 
my wife, like, being outside of all of this, like, not being into all the merchandise, not even, she had totally forgotten Darth Vader died in Return of the Jedi. That was a surprise when they show his mask later onto her, because that's how unfamiliar. Every time BB-8's on screen, she's chuckling, like, favorite character of this film. Yeah, how can you not love this thing? I mean, it's adorable, and yeah, it's not CGI, they're doing it... With magnets? How does this work? I don't know. I'm not an engineer, but they figured something out. BB-8 is a practical. They brought him out on stage at Celebration. I've seen him in person. Wow. Yeah, that's what blew me away. I remember seeing the teaser. I'm like, oh, obviously CGI creation. When I saw him come out on stage and interact with R2, much the way he's going to interact with people in this film, like, wow, they, they did this for real. It blew me away. Good job. I really like this new droid. He's a lot of fun. And he's the first new character we see. I mean, he rolls up right in your face in 3D. He's the one who spots the stormtroopers coming down on their ships and rolls to tell Poe. And he's our new R2, I guarantee. For the rest of the trilogy, at least, R2 is going to be a background character. BB is our new go-to droid. And he is a hell of a lot of fun. We'll talk about some key moments, but he won me over. R2 always had a lot of personality, and and BB-8, I don't know if he's better than R2, but again, a good replacement. Like, if we're retiring the old cast and and coming up with new analogs for him with younger actors and new creations, BB-8, he carries that torch. Literally, he's going to carry a torch (laughs) at one point for R2. Yeah, he gives that thumbs up, and I was in love. But then we get this big fight, and I'm wondering, I thought the first time I see this, Can stormtroopers shoot now? Because I really wondered if the First Order had better stormtroopers, and in truth, they don't. But here in the beginning, they seem effective. Yeah, I was paying attention to that. Like, can they hit targets now? And I I guess when the characters don't matter, or if it's part of the ship that's not going to blow up right away, they can hit their target, because that's what they do here. And this is where we get to see, I felt like through body language, through camera focus, I could tell which one was going to be the character we'll come to know as Finn. They make it very obvious. He tends to a wounded trooper and gets the three stripes of blood across his helmet so we can very easily pick him out. He's turning coward, but I have a real issue with this. He says he is taken from birth by the First Order, raised, conditioned trained to be a stormtrooper from birth and yet he gets out in a mission and he not only freezes but he refuses orders and then immediately turns traitor and wants to escape is that at all believable well here's the thing i I think they say this is his first real mission i mean he comes from the sanitation department on the star killer we'll find out later what i like about Finn's character here, and they do this a lot. They're like, again, it feels familiar, but they're just doing little twists in the Star Wars film. And here's one of them. Here's people turning towards the light. I feel like that's a theme. Like, even when we get to our main baddie, he has a pull towards the light. It's always been the opposite with Star Wars. It's always being pulled to the dark side. Here, people are being pulled towards good. And we see that right away with Finn, who, I mean, we'll, we'll get a debate later on if we should go with clones or these conditioned humans or whatever they are. But I don't have a problem with this. He he sees a friend, I guess, die who puts that blood stripe on his face. And yeah, he gets some PTSD or something. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll find out later. This is John Boyega, a black man. I, I do think that that instantly puts you in the mind frame of African child soldiers or slaves that, yes, were empathetic with him, that he was kind of forced to do this against his will. He didn't enlist This wasn't something he wanted. This was something he was made to do. And when push came to shove, all of his 
innate programming, his humanity resisted the urge to fire and kill. I think that that makes us like him. And keep in mind, we really don't know his backstory. I imagine that is going to be explored. I'm not... They'll be in an off year. Yeah, uh, well, no, I'm not convinced that he doesn't have some kind of fantastical origin of his own that is going to make him special. I just think that conditioning of morality comes through environments. And if you are conditioned, I mean, basic training is there to break down young adults' mentality so that they can kill. But it doesn't always work. No, it doesn't always work, but it works often enough. And it doesn't work to people who've been raised for 18 years outside of that system. If you from birth have been taught every year, this is what you do. I just think there needed to be something more. I would have liked to have seen more of a turn instead of in the very first battle in our very first time introduced to him. He's all of a sudden like, I can't do this, having a panic attack. Why don't other troopers, why don't we see any other trooper do this? Why is this the one? Don't you think that there's something special about him? I mean, later he's going to be wielding a lightsaber like it's second nature. I think that there's something great about him that we'll find out in the future. I hope so. I hope in many things in this movie, I hope something in the sequel pays off things that aren't explained in this movie. And some things are obviously not explained in this movie, like they're just left there to make us anticipate episode eight. But some things feel like prequel level storytelling his turn to good is as bad as anakin's turn to evil in episode three and i don't think one is defensible and one is attackable no 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 we didn't spend two movies with finn before he did this turn which makes no sense i mean this is our first introduction to him before he makes this turn that makes no sense okay got it (laughs) yeah i didn't have to invest any time i just take it this is his character as soon as he sees blood being shed on innocent people it overcomes his he has something innate in his nature that overcomes killing innocent people. Yeah. I, I don't know why that's like a bad Anakin-like turn where oof, we've discussed that already. It's not set up. It just happens. All right. I'll go with it. I give movies a lot of things for their setup in the first 20 minutes, but it's not a believable character turn, but it's a character turn. Yeah. I don't have a problem accepting it at face value here. And, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of liking what I'm seeing here. I, no one's talked about the ace pilot. We're told by the scroll that this is the best pilot in the universe right here that's come to pick up the, I don't know what it was, a thumb drive or whatever. <laughs> Poe Dameron. I I know this actor quite well. He was just in Ex Machina and that last Coen Brothers movie. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of people from Inside Lewin Davis. I don't recognize any of them here. So, yeah, no, I I like this actor a lot. I think he's good. And maybe I'm bringing a lot of that goodwill from his other performances here. But I'm on this guy's side. I I want him to kick ass. He is my favorite of the new characters of the big three. I love this guy. I wish he had more screen time. What I'm most anxious of episode eight is to see him because here in the beginning, he's a lot of fun with his little quips, his little jokes. He's very respectful to Max von Sydow, and he does prove himself to be an awesome pilot. You know who he reminds me of? Lone Star from Spaceballs. He, he just kind of has that swagger. There's something un-Star Wars-y feeling about him when he's approaching Kylo Ren. He's like, who talks first? You talk, I talk, you talk. Like, it, it does feel like someone from outside of what Lucas... Lucas would have never written those lines. And if he did, they would have never been delivered the way this actor delivers them. Like, the, yeah, he feels different. He feels like if this is the Star Wars universe, something that popped up 30 years later that we haven't seen before. Just the way he delivers his lines and his humor. 
And yet what I love is his haircut is pure 70s. They keep him in that period <laughs> by giving him that retro hairdo. And it's hilarious. But yeah, it seems to fit. By giving him an out-of-fashion do, he fits in this world. I buy that we're in Star Wars. And here we're also introduced to the Darth Vader of, I don't know, of this trilogy, but at least this film, Kylo Ren. And I love the first time we get to see him use the Force. Like, again, something new. And I, I think that's my expectation going in. Like, I'm expecting some things to be repeated, but I want, what new can you show me? And the fact that he's able to freeze a laser bolt midair. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I'd never seen that happen in all the comics, in all the books I'd read. I could never remembering that happen. And... The fact that he's able to still operate, he's like still able to walk around. He's not doing a Luke Skywalker's about to look constipated while he's lifting an X-Wing strain. <laughs> no, he's just going to walk around like nothing while that bolt just hangs there. I knew I was getting something new. All of a sudden, this really told me the game is different. We're going to see the Force used in new ways, and that excited me. Well, what I like about it is that he's a wannabe. You know, he's got Darth Vader's old ship, and it looks cool. I get why he does that. He's kind of dressing in like a cosplayer, like a fanboy. Like, he so wants to be Darth Vader. Later, we'll find out he has the helmet and kind of prays to it. You know, grandfather, give me the strength to be evil, which is kind of strange because I'm like, why didn't the... Force ghosts come back and be like, uh, I'm not evil no more. I return. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, you know, I like that that we have a character that is struggling, that is aspiring, and that is trying to be as fearsome. And yet there is something kind of ersatz about him. There's something false and wonderfully not scary about him as well. All right. Kylo Ren is another character that, like Finn, I think is a little bit too thin. Admittedly, I think they're intentionally leaving a lot of his backstory vague to flesh out in future movies. We didn't know Darth Vader's backstory in the first film either. In fact, it took six films to get the full story there. I do feel like they did a correction here. Darth Vader is being pulled around on Tarkin's leash in A New Hope. Here, I feel like they rectified that with the First Order where, okay, we recognize that the guy in all black is going to be a major bad guy. So he's got to have more of a presence on the ship and be able to order people around. Yeah, I think, first of all, his voice. I know they were trying to get a robotic masked voice, but they couldn't do a Vader. They couldn't do a Grievous. They ended up doing a slightly more intelligible Bane. I liked his voice. I didn't have a problem with it. it. For someone that's a wannabe Vader, yeah, he doesn't have the breathing apparatus. It's it's someone that's talking through one of those like Star Wars voice modulator toys. Or Mr. Microphone. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, that's part of the charm is that he has to affect that voice, that he isn't that person. And yet he so desperately wants to be. It makes you wonder why he split. What is going on in his psychology that he would want to be bad instead of good. And he's also a real whiny brat. You know, I I think I'm complimenting that... him for that, but yes, he is. He, he he throws fits. Like he'll just break stuff. It reminded me of Anakin when he destroyed the operating room when he first became Darth Vader. I'm like, he does have a lot of his grandfather in him. But to just smash poor computer equipment like that, I don't know. I like that Vader was focused in his evil. Kylo Ren, at first, I like the idea of him just being chaotic evil. Like, so evil, I'll smash this computer screen evil. But I think by casting Adam Driver, they're trying to do something different and have him be 
less evil? I mean, is this supposed to become a redemption story that we care about? Whereas Vader's redemption, well, he killed a whole bunch of kids, and the first time we never really knew him as good. So, at least to me, I was never happy he came to the good side so much as I was happy that he saved Luke, Luke lived, and the Empire was defeated. But they're going to take him places in this movie where he will not be redeemable to me. He goes too far in this movie for me to ever want to see him be good. I want to see this guy beheaded. Patricide? You're not down with patricide? Not down with patricide. Not down with the way he does it, too. It's not even a good murder. It's a freaking assassination. I really do wonder where this trilogy is going, because usually you you go the opposite way. You're going from dark to light. The fact that there's what we would think of as bad guys, a stormtrooper, Kylo Ren, that they're feeling this pull to the light. I'm wondering if this is going to go to much darker places, and, and they're really setting up a fall, not a redemption, that these are all redeemable characters, but there is this pull that will finally defeat them. I, I don't know where this trilogy is going by the end of this film. I wondered that myself. I wonder if Finn is going to be going to the dark side. Like, maybe he's so programmed that he's programmed to become a double agent or something. I don't know. I'm... I, my mind is reeling and probably hoping for better things than we're going to get, but we'll see. In years to come. Here, I'm just left with, again, a, a lot of questions and kind of thin characterizations where, I mean, we're going to hear a story later on told by Han and Leia, and Leia's just going to say about Kylo Ren, he has too much Vader in him. So he has too much of his grandfather who he never met in him genetically. What does that mean? Was he walking around like kids in the Target ad going... And sounding all asthmatic? So that means he turned evil and decided to kill a whole bunch of people? But I don't think that I'm getting ahead of myself when they talk about later that Luke was training someone, and it went badly. I mean, this is this pupil, right? I mean... Obviously, yeah. yeah. This this has to be the person that broke Luke. And so, yeah, I mean, we'll find out. I have no doubt that if there aren't in comics and video games that you guys are going to tell me about next year, by episode 8, they clearly will have all of these answers. It better be in episode 8. I want to know who the Knights of Ren are, like... Kylo Ren, he led a group of knights, and it didn't look like they all had lightsabers when he saw the Force vision. Is that why his lightsaber is different? It's trying to go all medieval on his ass? <laughs> yeah, that thing is all out of control and sparking. And They said before release that this was intentional, because there was a lot of uproar about that lightsaber. Yeah. Because that little blade guard at the bottom is really, it looks like it's going to cause you to cut off your own fingers more than it's going to cause any damage to anybody else. But... JJ said there's a reason for this, this is something he made, he made it crudely, and that's why it is the way it is. I don't know that we necessarily get that from this movie, but it's got a cool look to it, and the blade guard, if you think about it, yeah, it is kind of stupid, but it looks cool. I think when there's the lightsaber battle at the end, you definitely get to see the difference between a well-constructed blue lightsaber and that red one, which definitely is just, it, it looks like it's about to short out or something, it, it's very chaotic. And yet we see how the little side guards, or whatever you call them, did have some application. I mean, they can hurt their enemy, and when, it, when you know, they're up against the wall, I, yeah, I have no problem with this characterization, even though I recognize, intentionally, by design, this character is not as fearsome as Darth Vader or even the Emperor. He's a stoolie. When he gets back up to the ship, I mean, we're going to see when he gets back up to the ship that he basically has the same rank as Donald 
Gleason, who, you know, is just a pasty Brit and the long tradition of uh, pasty <laughs> Brits that have always had the right answer and until it all goes wrong and go down with the Death Star. Yeah, he's just sort of a, a stoolie that we're not meant to care about that, you know, he and Kylo answer to Snoke. Supreme Leader Snoke. Look, this is where I got worried. Yeah, me too. I got really worried here because they go into this room and they're talking to a giant. And I'm like, huh, a giant. I guess we saw that in one of those Ewok movies. Didn't really like that movie. They're going to give us a giant. Okay, it ends up being a hologram. But I was really worried for a second there. Oh, my God. This this is horrible. This CGI. I love the CGI in this movie. I really think it's incredible. Yeah, this does look very CGI to me. It looks like Andy Serkis brought a leftover character model from 2001's Lord of the Rings. And like, here, let's just use this. What is this with the cracked open head, the gray clay skin, the movement? I've come to expect so much better from Andy Serkis, and this is on par with the worst CGI of the prequels. Okay. I don't have much feeling for Snoke, other than I don't really like his name and I don't know where he comes from. Yeah. But I do have a theory that it's all Napoleon complex. Like, he's probably only two inches tall. I did, too! I was thinking... I, I have that same theory! <laughs> but, you know, he's just going to project himself that big. When we finally get to him, he's going to be like Tinkerbell or something. I get that he could be a giant, or he could just be a big hologram like the Emperor was in Episode Five. I get, while the plot follows a lot, and I mean a hell of a lot, of the same beats of A New Hope, there's many parts here where they're also going to take from Empire, and I'll talk about the ending, but here, yeah, we're introduced to Snoke the way we were introduced to the Emperor. I'm looking forward to learning more about him and hope that when we see him in non-holographic form, he looks more refined in terms of graphics. They did a great job with Maz later on, but this, this is, it looks like a leftover Harry Potter, I swear to God. But... I like that he's kind of telling the way things is. He is not a new emperor. He's not going to hit the same beats from the emperor. He's a little bit more calm. Like, Hux screws up and loses the droid, and he's like, not killing Hux or anything like that. He's like, well, let's focus on our new strategy. He rages a little, but... Here's my one thing, which I don't want prequel-level elaboration on, but maybe a New Hope-level elaboration, exposition on, is I'm not sure what this First Order is, because we're told the Republic is back. Like, the Empire has fallen, the Republic is back, but there's also this resistance which is aiding the Republic, and then there's this First Order that rose out of the Empire. Like... I'm sure they'll expand on this later, but I, I really wish I just just a little bit more. I, again, I don't want prequel level knowledge where we get Senate scenes and everything, but I wanted to understand the geopolitics a little bit better of these different factions. They're Nazis. That's basically yeah. It. I get that. I get that, <laughs> especially when they all give the salutes. They borrow the Nazi costumes and they're basically playing Nazis all over again. So the Republic is Weimar Germany that, that the Nazis rose out of. Is, that's what you're saying? Yeah. No. Well, you know what? My favorite part of war stories often are after truce is declared, and we do see what comes of all these parties. I think it's very fascinating to think that, yes, what would the Empire morph into without the Emperor and Darth Vader under its command? I, I like that we get this sort of bastard child version with Kylo Ren and this Snoke and... Yeah, they don't fear as fearsome. And indeed, their plan is a sad parody of what was tried twice before and failed. But well, and their whole thing is, oh, if we kill Luke, then we'll win. 
yes. be able to take over. And that is, we, we can talk about that, but yes, Kylo Ren had some kind of exchange with Luke, and that's unfinished business. So, do we need more? Well, if movies were made with the idea that a movie had a complete story told in it these days, I would say yes. I would demand to know that. But knowing that this is the pilot episode for a long-running <laughs> franchise that is just starting out, you take it for what they're willing to give you. It bothered me, Jacob. I was really bothered by what is the Resistance resisting against? The opening crawl says the Resistance works with the aid of the Republic, so they're working for or with the Republic. I have read most of the novelization for this movie, and it's... I was disappointed. There weren't a whole lot of cutscenes, but there was more of General Leia and her point with the Republic and how she's perceived as a bit of a crazy woman. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's General Leia, not Carrie Fisher. Oh, right? oops. <laughs> yeah, because she's just so radical and perceives the First Order as such a threat. And apparently the New Republic is as bad as the Old Republic because they're just mired down in bureaucracy and worried about trade routes. I kid you not. The book says they're worried about trade routes. I, I think that would have been a funny callback to just drop one line like that. Like, I would have got it better why there's still a resistance when the Republic has returned. Yeah, and I wish there was some of that here because even reading the book, I'm still not entirely sure. And later on when they blow up a planet, we'll get to it, but I'm really confused by that. And the book cleared a little of it up, but... Yet, I think back to that original Star Wars and the scene where Moff Tarkin comes in and says the Imperial Senate will no longer be of a concern to us. The Emperor has dissolved that body permanently. We didn't know what the hell that meant. It took four movies for us to know what that meant, <laughs> but it didn't ever bother me. So I guess I shouldn't worry about it. They're remaking A New Hope here. They really kind of are rebooting things in certain ways. And if it didn't bother me in A New Hope, I guess I can't let it bother me here. But the First Order, I mean, they're building giant super weapons, major frickin' weapons, bigger than the Empire ever did. But yet, they seem to have a real problem keeping hostages. Not one, but two are going to escape from Ren on his Star Destroyer. Like, we get a new kind of Stormtrooper, too. Like, Captain Phasma, like the Silver Stormtrooper that's leading everyone. She catches Finn when they return to the ship. Like, he's taken off his helmet again with these, like, PSTD panic attacks. She's like, why is your helmet off? Like, go report to my group for reconditioning. I like that she said, let me have your gun examined. Yeah, do they track every laser bolt shot? It may be cut in the novel. He lied and said his gun jammed. And that's oh, why he okay. didn't shoot at all. And so that's why she was having it checked. But the way I took it in the movie is they were going to look at how much ammo it had left. And if he didn't shoot it, he was in even deeper shit. Yeah, Kylo Ren is already on to him. They had a meaningful exchange back on Jakku. A meaningful stare. He already knows that this guy is the one that betrays, that when he busts Poe out, everyone quickly learns that it's going to be, well, what gets christened as Finn, FN2187. And I like this detail. I've got to say, having watched those prequels where all the characters were so, I don't know, strident, and they've just rarely had any sense of fun other than Jar Jar and maybe briefly Ewan McGregor. It's nice to have a character who is, you know, got kind of devilish motives. I mean, he claims he's busting Poe out because, hey, it's so wrong that they're torturing you and I want to help. But the truth is he can't fly a TIE fighter. He needs this guy to get him away. He's just a coward running away. 
And that's fun. I do like the fact that there's personality here, that they're not just playing to type. But he's also got a bit of an ego, and he's also a bit quick with the tongue, and he's going to be the funny guy. I like these two paired together, though. I really love their escape. Yeah, and I love that they steal a TIE fighter. And, and like, Poe's like, ooh, I've always wanted to fly one of those. Yep, we have two, right? We've always wanted to be in the cockpit of one of these. We, I mean, <laughs> you get little cutaways here and there throughout the saga, but this is the first time we're seeing the mechanics of that thing, and it's fun. I love how it had, like, a steel cable tying it up, you know? Yes. They thought they were going to steal it, and it was, like, on a leash. And, again, I think the CGI looks really good here of this hanger where it's, like, cutting. And when Finn just starts shooting the place up, it's just really... It is funny. It is fun scene to have these two together. It's really lighthearted. And I was already getting this vibe, though. Was anyone else thinking about 2009 Star Trek by this point? No. Uh, yeah, but maybe because that reminds me of Star Wars. This film, just with the banter back and forth. Yeah, the and banter, you're right. The pacing. This scene, it hit me really hard, and it's a thought that I cannot escape on three watchings. This movie is 2009 Star Trek in Star Wars outfits. Which is Star Trek in Star Wars outfits. <laughs> it's getting really confusing. But yet this film is so J.J. It's like the same template. It feels like he was in prep to make the third Star Trek film when they lured him away to Star Wars. It's like he was still in that mindset of, I'm going to make the next Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Carl Urban kind of banter back and forth. And he just brought that sensibility here. This doesn't feel like either of the previous two trilogies, but it feels like a J.J. film. Well, I'm just glad it's here. I think that it brings a freshness to characters. I like these characters more than most. You know, I always use that word sterile when I'm talking about Star Wars. It's because so many characters are either pure good or evil without having much, you know, nuance. And here we're getting more of the rogue. We're getting more of a Han Solo. And yeah, and I just, I like, yeah, the characterization you said. I like that Finn is always looking for a blaster because that's like the one thing he does know how to use. And he's like, why can't I just get a blaster? And when you get Poe trying to explain like the weapons control, I feel like I'm playing those X-Wing or TIE Fighter games, you know, like, that were like flight simulator. It's like, okay, on your left, you're going to toggle between this and this and this. And on your right, like, but it's also quick and fun. I'm smiling during all this. They were planning to go back to Jakku anyway for BB-8, but they're shot yes. down. We know that John Boyega gets out because of a parachute. Do we ever really understand what happens to Poe? No, in the novelization, which may or may not be cut scenes, it does tell us what happens to him and how he's picked up and taken to a different town and gets passage off the planet. But here, he disappears, and we're supposed to think he's dead. And it really kind of threw me for a loop. I'm like, he's not dead. I know he's not right. dead, but... They really sell it as he's dead. But how did he get away? I mean, that... Well, yeah, we see that there's these ejector seats, so maybe his blue far away somewhere else? I didn't catch it on my first viewing. On the second viewing, I saw Finn landed far away from the TIE fighter. He yeah. sees the TIE fighter smoking in the distance and goes to it. So if he's that far away, it makes sense that Poe might also be far away. I just wonder why Poe took his jacket off before he ejected out of there. Because we see Finn look in the cockpit. He pulls that jacket out right before. We're told that there's like these sinkholes. I'm, I'm thinking the Sarlacc pit from Tatooine. But there's these sinkholes in the desert. And I guess that's what gets this TIE fighter. It pulls it down underneath. Yeah, I have no doubt that we're going to see Poe again. But I have no explanation for what he's doing for the next hour of this movie. 
He's getting off of Jakku, just like the characters we're going to watch. But he was the one that wanted to go there. <laughs> well, maybe he found out that BB-8 was gone. In the book, it doesn't really go into it much. He just wakes up, he hit his head, and he's like, I need to get off the planet. All right. <laughs> I should be getting BB-8, but BB-8 is doing other things. BB-8 is making new friends. Yes, here we get Ray, our new character, played by Daisy Ridley, an actress who has never done a movie before. Oh. Better than Portman. And is put as the lead in the new Star Wars $4 billion film. No pressure. Yeah, I mean, that can happen. They, who knew what, who Sam What's-His-Face was before Avatar? I mean... And what's he done since? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember his last name. Weatherton something? I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. But my point is that every now and then, when the acting session goes well, people will trust a newbie. There's something nice. When it works, there's no doubt about it. A fresh face can feel really great and it really give the new series or franchise whatever it is a new grasp i mean i do feel like by having not only a female lead but an actress we've never seen before we have no expectations for what this character can do will do or where she'll take us one of my favorite scenes is when she's like sliding down the sand dune after she goes on that scavenger hunt through that star destroyer and i want to call out i don't like a lot of the new john williams music in this film like stuff i like is mostly what's recalled from the Mm. the original trilogy Mm -hmm. but i don't know if this is called ray's theme or whatever it is called ray's theme on the soundtrack Okay, I I do kind of like her theme. It's this very simplistic, notes repeating. It stood apart, at least, from most of the new music, which didn't do much for me at all. I agree. This is, it's a very staccato little medley that's nice. Later on, when Han dies, there's another good piece of music that I think Williams just blatantly stole from Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I noticed that. (laughs) But other than that, this is... Perhaps John Williams' most bland Star Wars score ever. Whereas Attack of the Clones, he actually did really bad stuff. This is just really middle-of-the-road average. Well, the good news is he can always fall back on the old themes, and those work. That was where I noticed the music. I didn't really notice that there was new music when it didn't sound like Luke's theme or the classic theme. Exactly. And she is the classic millennial, right? I mean, she even has, like, dolls, of the old character. She knows the legend, but hasn't really lived it or, or known them personally. And much like these new fans that are going to the movie theaters, they didn't grow up, you know, watching Star Wars unfold as part of their childhood. They just know the old stories. And like a lot of the millennials, they don't want to leave home, which is, an, an, again, an interesting twist on a character. Usually when you have a hero on a desert planet in the Star Wars universe, they want to get off that planet. Rey is the opposite. She doesn't want to leave. She is always trying to get back to Jakku for reasons unknown until later in the film. Yeah, she's been marking the days on this wall of the crashed AT-AT she lives in, and I just love the thought of living in an AT-AT. I would. That, that got a big applause when they pulled back, and you see it's actually an AT-AT that she's sitting at the foot of. And those marks just go on and on and on. So she's been on there for a long time, and we will later see in a vision, she was left there at like age four or five, right? Yeah. Yeah, very young age. Is she Luke's kid? I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and make this jump here. Her parent has disappeared. We're told Luke has disappeared. She's going to have this lightsaber called to her. She's going to use it pretty well. My sense is that this is Skywalker. The first two times I watched this, I think she is Han and Leia's kid that they put into hiding after Kylo Ren, Ben, 
turn to the dark side. They're they're pulling a Luke with her and put her into hiding. Though when later on in the film, when Kylo Ren does this mind reading thing to her, he does say, "You dream of water and an island in this water." And we'll see that's where Luke is later on. So that's the one thing that perhaps may change my mind, but I'm still pulling on that she is Kylo's sister. Yeah, it does really feel to me like. There's some familial relationship. I mean, Lucas has said that this movie should be about the heirs of the Skywalker family, that Star Wars is the tale of the Skywalkers. Leia's a Skywalker. She's not. She's an Organa. She does not have the last name of Skywalker. He wants someone named Skywalker there. I have a feeling we're going to find out it's Rey Skywalker. And we do think Luke, like, she's a natural pilot, maybe because she's always pulling fuses out of old Imperial spaceships. And a natural mechanic, just like Anakin on Tatooine. Yeah, and she could talk. I mean, when she runs into BB-8, this is a scene I don't really get. I guess she just cares about sentient robots. But BB-8's been captured, and she runs up to the alien that caught him and just cuts him loose and frees him. And she's able to talk to him without a protocol droid to do the interpretation. Yeah, it could be that she's really smart, or it could be that she is strong with the Force. We're going to see some evidence of that towards the end. But yeah, I just like the fact that she has an instant bonding with this droid, and it's helpful because, well, we need to have her brought into the story some way, and this is where she's also going to meet Finn, that he comes stumbling in, is drinking from some giant pig trough, (laughs) and is wearing Poe's jacket. BB-8 recognizes this, and... She comes right at him. I want to just state on the record, I like this character. I'm excited that we're going to be following her through new movies. Daisy Ridley, I think she's really great at this role. I was really, really nervous that we are going to get a Jake Lloyd out of her. No. No, she's great. (laughs) But the writing in this film doesn't do the character or the actress justice. First of all, is there anything this character really needs to develop into? Is there an arc for this character? Is there an arc this character can have? Like you mentioned, she can fly really well, like Harrison Ford well, and she could fix things, Anakin Skywalker well, and she kicks ass. When we met Luke, he was, I want to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters. He had a place to go as a character. Where is Rey going to go? Her whole thing, the only thing you can do is tell her, you do need to get off this backwater planet. But beyond that, there's nothing she can't do. I get the feeling that she didn't need Finn. She didn't need Ford. She could have just gotten BBA to the resistance all alone because she never fails. She is too much of a gifted character. No, but I don't think she wanted to do that. I don't know if she would have ever got BB-8 off the planet. She would have protected him. We see her fight off a couple of guys that try to steal him. But that is her arc, that she doesn't want to leave home, that she's... There is this in the Cambellian archetypes, you know, the, the refusal of the journey at first. She's refusing most of this film to go on the journey. She doesn't want that. And let's point this out. It's not because she just loves sand so much. It's because she believes <laughs> that her parents are going to come back. She's orphaned, or at least she was left by her parents and that they are going to come back for her. And at some point, she is going to come to the realization that that is, well, I don't know if it's a lie, but that she needs to find her parents for herself. I think her arc is reconnecting with those parents and her history, and I don't know how long it's going to take this trilogy to do that, but by the end of this movie, she might be pretty damn close. I just felt like she was a bit overdone. I just couldn't get behind her as a character because she could do everything magically well, you know? 
But this is a Force movie. This is Star Wars. This is the Force. I I thought that's what they were telling us right away. Jacob, you got to grow into that, though. You got to learn this stuff. The fact that she doesn't know she has the Force, and by the end, she's never held a lightsaber, but she's taking down somebody who trained under Luke Skywalker. Bullshit! Don't you think this is an overcorrection, though? This is because females have not played a great part in the battles and much of the Star Wars universe. I mean, I think that, yeah, by wanting to design a super strong female archetype, they were afraid to give her any sense of flaws. Her only flaw is she's naive enough to believe that Finn is actually part of the resistance when it's so clear. Everyone else knows (laughs) Finn is lying through his teeth to impress a girl he has a crush on, but she takes him at his word. I love that relationship. And I love the great puppet work with BB-8. Like, they, he's always given Finn these yeah. looks, that, which for an inanimate object, they do such a great job, like, expressing emotion through him. Yeah, and when you say overcorrection, Stuart, I think you're dead on. I mean, there's a bit of a, I don't know if you call it a subplot or a theme or just a thing that happens where in these scenes when the First Order attacks... Finn keeps grabbing Ray's hand to pull her behind to bring her to safety. And in fact, the first time he sees her, Finn is going to Ray and trying to help her because she's being accosted by a couple guys and she kicks their ass. And Ray repeatedly is like, don't yet grab my hand. I don't need you to grab my hand to run. And I feel like that is almost pandering to the percentage of the population who just worships at the altar of the Mary Sue. Because I'm like, you can give me a strong character without bringing out in dialogue and thudding me over the head with this I don't need man's help message. Yeah, I think that at some point, women will be allowed to be more fallible than they currently are. But right now, we're just in a mode where they shoot bows and arrows. They can do anything that men can do better. And and we just like the idea of building them up. And we're maybe a little bit reluctant to show anything that shows weakness. Yeah, the male characters here have flaws. And the female character here feels completely unrealistic but i like i want to stress i like ray a lot yeah uh, daisy ridley gives this character emotion and a charisma that just every time i watch the film i like ray more it's specifically in these opening scenes that i really have a problem with her and in the force using scenes later but in the middle i think she's great. I like that she's a strong woman. I don't want people to think that I want a weak woman. My favorite Star Wars character female before Rey was Leia. Rey may actually best Leia. You don't have any choices though before <laughs> Well, I, there's Padme. She kicked a little bit of ass. Yeah, exactly. You have two choices, Padme or Leia. And there was something green with tails on her head that danced around. Yeah, what about Ula or Gar- <laughs> Yarna? Or... Yeah, some of the strippers in Jabba's Palace. Yeah. Yes. But I think Rey could become my favorite female Star Wars character. I just feel that J.J. overplayed his hand with her here, and I hope that that overcorrection is again corrected and not overcorrected in the future to make it a character that I root for instead of a character that I feel is always going to save the day, you know? Well, I thought they were really going to do something with her at the end. We'll we'll talk about that, but for now, yeah, I get what you're saying, that they're running away from these TIE fighters that are attacking. I mean, when Poe was on the, the the starship, Kylo Ren was able to read his mind and find out BB-8 is down on that planet. I guess Vader, Vader read minds before, didn't he? Yeah, sister. So you have a sister. That's right, yeah. So yeah, we see this great, again, 
looking at things new, we've never seen like TIE fighters just at air to land battle go on. Usually it's all up in space here. They're, they're coming down, they're blowing up this settlement. And I, I got to say the first real star <laughs> of the film shows up as they're running away. And they're like, let's take that ship. What about that one? No, that's garbage. And that ship blows up. Okay. We'll take the garbage. When they pan over to that millennium Falcon. Wow. Like that, the, the audience erupted. Like you always said, Arnie, like, that is a character in the film. And this is the first time I felt like, yeah, that really is a character because people are losing their minds. And I think J.J. fooled everyone. I always expected Han and Chewie were going to be flying that from that trailer. I did not expect that that thing was going to be sitting around in a junkyard somewhere and these two characters were going to take it. I knew that that would be the case because of the Chewie were home line from the trailer. The home that they're back to is the Falcon. I knew there would be a reclaiming of the Falcon. And the moment Finn says, what about that ship? And she goes, that's junk. I'm like, okay, it's the Falcon. So <laughs> there was no surprise there, Aww. but it was great to see it again. And Man, I love that she flies it into the ground a couple of times. It's just fun to see the Falcon get a little bit beat up and resilient and to get John Boyega back in the gunner seat. I mean, we saw that gunner seat in episode four. They never used it again. I thought they should have used it again, maybe in five or six, put somebody down there to shoot at the TIE fighters in the asteroid belt or something. But here he's down there. They still got those 1977 (laughs) targeting graphics and it's whipping around and Finn's like, what the hell is this? It's it's a lot of fun and a great space battle. I use that word fully intentionally. Yeah, it's not even space. It's yeah, which I like. It, it feels different. We don't ever see spaceships doing this kind of stuff in the Star Wars universe, and now we're seeing it for the first time. It may be in the books or comics, video games. They've done this stuff, but for me, where I'm primarily a movie fan when it comes to the Star Wars universe, I, I'm just excited to see new things being done here excitement i mean that was where i was trying to get my read on with that fanboy right to my left and it was this was the first moment since the opening crawl where he was losing his mind where he again lost his (laughs) mind there is something about this moment being back in this ship i do feel like this movie's strongest moments are when they pull out the old iconography but ironically the best parts of this movie are the new characters so it's it's weird in that way we love these new characters but the things that are always going to make people cheer and applaud are the old favorites and this millennium falcon is one of the biggest cheers of the movie yeah i'm glad jacob you came around that it's a character and i i felt it was i was happy to see it and you it's the cause of a few too many callbacks we're gonna see the chess table we're gonna see the training remote we're gonna see the area where they were smuggled in a new hope it's like a couple is cute they went a couple too many they played it a little too much the same note yeah i I agree with you there (laughs) but i like seeing it back i like seeing these two on it you know what i really love is after the tie fighter battle and she does that really flip move because the gun's stuck and the way she and finn come together and they're just both like excited like we did it you did a good job no you did a good job there's just a camaraderie they don't even know each other's names at this point that, that's the crazy thing they've been on the run this whole time and this is the first time they've actually like gotten along yeah they have more chemistry than anyone ever has in the star wars universe i've got to say i've never felt romantic heat from any character before and these guys got it so i'm i'm loving that this is the relationship i can't wait to see these guys unfold in future movies i think that they are hotter than han and leia or jabba and leia or anything else we've seen (laughs) 
Han and Leia, I like their moments, but she is so cold. Like I like it's just it's not like this. It's a different feel. Yeah, it's human. <laughs> and of course, another big callback is coming. The tractor beam gets them, and I had no idea that the home being referred to was that Han Solo and Chewbacca would be the ones taking back their ship here. I knew it, and I knew it from the moment they started getting pulled into this weird boxy ship that we never really get a good look at. But the way Finn says, it's the First Order. And I'm like, no, it's probably Han. <laughs> I was yeah, Han. <laughs> yeah, that did not trick me. Like, once I realized that Han and Chewie were not on that ship, I realized, okay, this is where they get on there. But you know what? People, again, it felt like a, a curtain call or something. Like, if this is the last film where we see all these classic characters i'm sure you know obviously luke's got to be in the next one but i feel like people were just cheering every time even though we've seen we're home so many times in the trailers again people erupted into applause in in the theater yeah i kind of thought for meta reasons harrison ford would die but i knew it for a fact within 10 minutes of him coming on screen the way he's walking around the falcon and the way he gives that smile that he's when he's in the cockpit again but i'll say this best harrison ford performance in nearly 20 years i i'm glad you say that this is where this is where i'm saying jj maybe a better director than we've given him credit or maybe harrison ford really was excited to come back to the star wars universe or at least get a big paycheck i mean there was i kept waiting for that part-time moment i don't get it in his lines like i feel like harrison ford wants to be in this film he's funny he's got that charm his hair is scruffy He's Han Solo again, is what it is. Yes. He becomes Han Solo again. And are you telling me J.J. is a better director than Spielberg? I don't know that I buy that. I think Spielberg on that film was on cruise control. He had Lucas whispering in his ear. That was the problem. (laughs) But yeah, I haven't liked Harrison Ford performance since Air Force One. That is the last time I felt he did a good job. That's 97. A long time ago. (laughs) So it has been 18 years since I thought he did a good thing. And here, I was scared. I was really scared he'd crystal skull it up but he didn't he became han solo and yeah he's older but he was still able to yell chewy just like he did before and still able to do the moves and still able to run and punch and be that scoundrel that he was before han solo was brought back to life it makes me think that now if they did a fifth indie it might not suck. Somewhere, maybe when he had his plane crash, Harrison Ford was in the hospital. It unlodged that yeah, stick? Yeah, he had a stickectomy. And, you know, it was a, <laughs> Guys. a voluntary surgery where the stick was forcibly removed from his anus that had been stuck there ever since he got that earring. I mean, I think he may have turned a corner. He's actually having fun in press. He met fans. He's... Admittedly, he's still not going to answer your question of who shot first, Han or Greedo. He doesn't give a shit, but he is back. Yeah, I'm happy to see a performer that is happy to be here. And that is what we all sense here that, you know, a lot of this to me feels like playing to the fans. I mean, you know, it, it is so much of a... They didn't need to have Han in this movie, right? I mean, they could have just had these kids figure it out for themselves. But because Harrison Ford is so willing to play along, what he adds here is immeasurable. It does really sell the idea that this is as much a classic Star Wars as it is a new millennial Star Wars. I think you had to have Han Solo, Luke, and Leia. It's lucky they're all still alive. I mean, accidents happen. They're not that old, but, you know, people die every day. Maybe I'm morbid. But if you did a Star Wars movie without them, it would always feel 
more like a reboot, less like a continuation. It would also feel just less respectful. I did kind of wonder if this movie would do what they did in the books. Eventually, it was decided Han, Luke, and Leia have to retire. And they didn't kill them because George wouldn't let them kill them. So they just literally, like, said, we fought enough. We're going to go off and have a happy life and leave it to the next generation to fight. I don't know how believable that is. It left them in the wings in case they ever needed to come back. But I thought maybe Han and Leia would get a send-off where they decide to go off and be happy together. But no, I kind of smelled the rotting corpse of Harrison Ford. Given that J.J. likes to kill off characters, given the fact that, yes, Harrison Ford probably isn't going to do three more movies in the Star Wars universe, I had a feeling that it was within the realm of possibility he could die, but I, I mean, I didn't see him walk on screen with a vulture on his shoulder. I mean, I did. I really did. Well, I, I think it's a lot of fun, though. We get to see him as a smuggler, finally. Like, we saw a little bit of that in A New Hope when he had that confrontation with Greedo. But here, he is smuggling stuff. Like, these weird... Hentai aliens? Yeah, like... I mean, seriously, these are not Star Wars. I gotta tell you, I know Star Wars. I know Star Wars character design from games, from movies. These giant roly balls with tentacles are straight out of Doom and hentai porn. I, I feel like that's what you get. It's like a baby Sarlacc. That's a, if you pulled it out of the sand, that's what it would look like almost. But this feel, you called out Star Trek 2009. This feels Star Trek 2009 to me when we get these. Yeah. I don't know who these guys, is this, a, is this, this, these Deadpool type characters? Yes, the Guavian Death Squad. I had the figure, it was named Guavian Enforcer. They're here to enforce the Guava. But yeah, they're here and also... Don't forget Kanja Club, not to be confused with Culture Club, although wouldn't that be fun? And I did. I really did wonder if it was a Culture Club reference. An all-Asian gang. I can't decide if that's diverse or stereotypical, but they look like Genghis Khan. Yeah. Scottish on one side, Chinese on the other. I was a little disappointed, although it's progressive not to make the Chinese do Kung Fu. You have Yayan Ruhian, who is in The Raid playing the Mad Dog... Boy, I wanted to see him bust out some moves here before the tentacle creature ate him. <laughs> I love Han here. Like, when he's like, oh, I'll, I'll get us out of this like I always do. I'll, I'll talk our way out of it. And the, Chewie's really funny in this, too, the way he reacts to Han. Oh, yeah. I love it when Finn says, is he the war hero? And Chewie just kind of shakes his head like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he gets to be the straight man. He's the one that always is just, yeah, you cut to his spit take. I mean, it, that, it, it makes it a lot of fun here. I've never really thought a lot about Chewie. Chewbacca, to me, he's always a peripheral character, but he really does play off well what Harrison Ford is doing in this movie. Chewbacca's bowcaster. There's something... <laughs> I love this joke. I would have been hard-pressed. I actually lost a trivia game where the question was, how many times did it fire in the movies? Because I said zero. It turns out it did fire once inside the Minoc yeah. and Empire, but... It's so iconic if you got mm -hmm. the toys. He always came with the bowcaster. But yeah, he we've never really seen it used. And... Don't you think, though, that somewhere along the line, Han would have shot it? Han would have used it before. Yeah, yeah, but it's still funny. <laughs> it is funny, and yet it's completely unrealistic. And it's like the one moment where I'm not sure if I buy Harrison Ford. He's like, I like this thing. I, I like that he keeps going back. He's like, can I borrow that? <laughs> What's Chewbacca supposed to shoot? I know, at least give him your blaster. Well, Chewbacca gets shot. He spends a lot of this movie laid up. I wondered if they were softening us up for Han's death by killing Chewbacca right there. I'm like, holy shit, they're throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah, I, I was surprised that, I mean, that he even got injured, that he actually does get shot in the arm here as they're trying to 
get to the Millennium Falcon and take off. This is not the David Fincher Star Wars. Yeah, he would have killed off all the beloved characters <laughs> in the first five minutes. But no, J.J. is reverential. Yeah, but most people don't get blaster wounds in these movies. You hit with a blaster, you fall. Yeah, those stormtroopers are getting blown apart every time they get hit. So yeah, I was surprised Chewbacca lived, but I'm glad he did. And I mean, Chewbacca is an easy character to keep around. Lucasfilm and Disney both like to market the entire Star Wars franchise around masks because <laughs> actors can build on that. But they're going to put Chewbacca, Yoda, Vader, Kylo Ren, anyone in a mask they love. So Chewbacca, yeah, they can just keep recasting him and bring on new people and keep Chewbacca around for 25 more films. But yeah, he goes down. They have to escape on the Falcon. I, of course, saw that coming. I, I got to ask you, Arnie, because I'm wondering if hardcore people that have read all the books or whatever and get really into the lore, did it bother you that they take off from light speed from a, like a standing position within the hangar? No, that didn't bother me at all. Okay. What bothered me is that he's going to pull the same trick twice in this movie. He's going to take off at light speed and then later he's going to land at light speed. That bothered me. I, I like that there was that big sucker creature yeah, stuck to the cockpit. The Rathtar is yes. on the cockpit. They go to light speed and that thing just breaks apart as they go. And like a bug on the windshield. That I love. But no, it didn't bug me that he jumped to light speed. A little bit of me was like, did they check the Navi computer so they didn't jump through a star? I feel like ever since A New Hope, they've never checked the Navi computer when they've jumped to light speed. No, they checked the Navi computer in Empire a couple times. Okay. And every other time we've seen them jump to light speed, they've like had a whole lot of time. Like the entire fleet is going somewhere. So I was like, I hope they checked the Navi computer, but assuming they did, I have no problem with it. <laughs> we'll just say they did off screen to make me happy. <laughs> but yeah, then they're going to a new planet that has more green than Ray could ever imagine in the entire universe. And we meet Maz Kanata. I feel like this is the first point where I didn't understand why we were doing what we were doing. That up to this point, this movie has been pretty linear connected. Why are we going here? Because Han doesn't want to go to the Resistance. He doesn't want to run into his wife. Well, he says that his ship is marked because if he and Chewie could find the Falcon, then the First Order could find the Falcon. So it's not safe for BB-8 to go to the planet on the Falcon. So they're hoping Maz can get BB-8 to Leia without using the Falcon. He, I think he, he's avoiding Leia. That, that's how I read it. I know they give this big explanation. Okay. I like that. That helps. But I didn't really understand really anything other than this is just a cantina callback. We're in some place that looks like a temple, but is really a bar? Yeah, it's been there a thousand years, or she's been running it at least a thousand years. And, and this, obviously, is supposed to be the cantina scene. I get that. It kind of falls flat for me. The camera goes too fast. Like, for me, when you can see that original cantina scene, and even in Jabba's palace, like, you, you're able to take in all the different creatures, and that's what makes it so fun. Here, you do that pan around the cantina, but it you don't really get to take much of the life in there in and, and see the different alien forms. I'm sure that's where Warwick Davis was in some suit playing a role, as he always does in these Star Wars films now, but I... I was kind of let down. We do know that they're calling to the respective resistance and first order contacts that this is going to turn into the OK Corral or something where both sides are going to descend on this temple bar. I would like to know more about the Russian girl who calls to the first order. She's kind of hot and I want to know why she's with that giant dude. And uh, guess why? 
<laughs> giant tusk on your face, giant, you know what? Big feet. <laughs> and yeah. And then I did notice that the droid that called to the rebellion or the resistance it looked like a medical droid or something. It had the mouth of two one B, that microphone yes. mouth. And here's where Finn I love that Han keeps calling him big deal, because when they yes. get there, he's like, I'm kind of a big deal to the first order. Solo. Did you just call me solo? Han. Han, Mr. Mr. Solo. Mr. Solo. Yeah. <laughs> There's some funny stuff here, yeah. Yeah, I love their interplay. I'll tell you, Harrison Ford doing well, and Harrison Ford liking Ray and Finn, I think it helps transfer that onto me. He accepts them. I'm accepting him as Han Solo, so I accept them. I was liking him before he shows up, but once he shows up, I just, I'm loving these new characters the same way I love Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Qui-Gon, or the same way I love Han, Luke, and Leia. And we could all agree that Solo knows Ray's parentage at this point. Like, whether he's the father or Luke is the father, the fact that he's offering a job isn't because she's a great pilot. I'm not convinced of that, but that's a good theory. Okay. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they could surprise us all and have Ray being a totally new... Imagine this, a character that's not connected to anyone we've seen before. That would be really something, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm hoping that Finn is not connected to anyone. You know, I'm hoping Finn is like the Han Solo who isn't connected to the lineage, but I think that... Ray has to be someone. I mean, she's too force powerful to not be. I mean, I'd be fine if it was Yoda's love child or even the <laughs> Kiati Mundi or any of the Jedi that die in Order 66, but uh, although she'd be much older, I guess, but maybe Maz and uh, Chewbacca's kid. She has a thing for the Wookiee. <laughs> that was funny. I, and I got really upset. I'm like, what about Mala? What about Lumpy? What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. He's a pirate. He's got a one in every port. Yeah, talk about Yoda's love child. I really did get that vibe off of Maz. I'm like, wait, is that supposed to be some Yoda species? But she doesn't got the big ears. She's got big eyes. She reminded me of an orange I forgot in my lunch at work, and it turned like a little soft and dimpled. Yeah, I like her. Yeah, Lupita Nuango, an Oscar winner they got for this part. Not sure why they needed her, but, you know, she works. I don't really know why we're here. I don't know what she's doing, but I do feel like if you needed a Yoda to show up in this moment, she's good enough. She's endearing. All of the upgrades are as good as what we've gotten before. I'm wondering if she'll pay off more later, because I did wonder. I mean, she's an Oscar winner, yes. She also doesn't have a ton of credits to her name either, so maybe she was still working relatively cheap, or maybe they wanted somebody really good to build into the future installments. And after three viewings, I can't even tell you if Maz lives through this battle. Yeah, she's definitely coming back. I have no doubt about that. But what role she'll ultimately play, I don't know. We don't know, I assume, why she has Luke's lightsaber. I do like that Han says, where did you get that? And Maz answers, a good story for another time. Because you gotta tell us eventually, who went to a gas planet? That is not an easy endeavor. It's not like just combing the desert for droid parts. This is a big deal to get, like, suits to go down there at a huge gas giant to find a freaking lightsaber. You don't just metal detect on the beach on Sundays for that. <laughs> My question is, is Maz a Force user? Like, this lightsaber supposedly i wonder if it's just the force is going to call to ray 
And Maz is going to give that Yoda speech about what the Force is. I do feel like, again, let's get rid of the prequels. There are no midichlorians here. It is a special Force that flows through everything. Like, we're going to just almost totally repeat what Yoda said. But is she a Force user? She says she knows the Force, but she's not a Jedi. So so she could be Force sensitive. Yeah, she, she may well be Force sensitive. She's a thousand years old. So yeah, very Yoda-like. Maybe she's using the Force to live that long the way the new canon says Yoda used the Force to wait for Luke. Otherwise, he would have died much sooner. I don't know, but it's... Again, this may be revealed to us in time. Hell, maybe she'll join Luke's new academy when he rebuilds again. (laughs) Yeah, we've not seen the last of this character, but she's basically here because we need Rey to get the lightsaber in a scene that I have to believe is intentionally meant to evoke the cave moment from Empire Strikes Back. Yes, and here's... There's Yoda in there, right? I heard Yoda. First, we get Alec Guinness. Okay, I... I didn't catch that one. He huh. says Ray. The voice that you hear, the most clear thing you hear is Ray. And that was Alec Guinness. But that's not really Alec Guinness, is it? Yeah, they took Afraid and got Ray out of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they also brought in Ewan McGregor hmm. to do the next voices of Obi-Wan saying, these are your first steps. Making me wonder if maybe Ewan McGregor is going to play a Force ghost of Obi-Wan. I mean, they got him in a studio to do these lines. They didn't just crib together stuff from the previous films. And they got Frank Oz in a studio to do new Yoda lines. What I read is JJ said they ended up not using them. They just ended up using clips from earlier movies. But Frank Oz came in. So maybe we get Yoda as a Force ghost. But all these people came in and did readings to go into this, which every time I see it, I get something more out of. I kind of heard Yoda. I didn't make out the words. The first time, I was so focused on the visuals, I didn't even hear Obi-Wan's voice. It was the second time, I'm like, was that Ewan? And it turned out it was Ewan and Alec. I thought it was all Ewan. This is where we get, what, kind of her backstory. I'm not sure what we get here. We see Luke touching R2 with his metal hand. And it's raining, and there's sparks. I think we're seeing the fall of his... Jedi Academy with Ren killing the other apprentices with the Order of Ren behind him. Yeah, the Knights of Ren, which, again, they don't all have lightsabers. I noticed it was like World of Warcraft. They had big swords and stuff. Yeah, I don't know what this means. This will definitely be explained to us, I'm sure. There's a lot of interpretations. Mine is we're seeing the... Ooh, now I'm just putting something together. We're seeing (laughs) the Jedi Academy break apart. And then we see... Ray as a young girl being left on the planet, and then we see a future scene of her on Starkiller base with Ren. Maybe because of what Ren did, it caused her to be hidden, like you just said, Jacob, and it's all going to tie together when we find out her backstory. That's This is all really making me want it to be 2017. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, then. Yeah, I mean, don't tell me. I'm not dying of suspense. But yeah, she's either a Solo or a Skywalker. I'm sure of that. Otherwise, why would the Saber call to her? Why would her memories be so tied with Luke? But basically, she gets a lightsaber. But she doesn't want it. She refuses the call, just like Luke did. She still wants to go home to Jakku. She's seen Finn leave. He's going off to Tatooine, or at least the Outer Rim, to hide, because that's all he wants to do. And now she's running off. And this is where Maz kind of tells her, in your heart, you know, what, your parents are dead? What is she telling her? That they're not coming back. Okay. 
Yeah, it's pretty harsh. She's basically like, oh, knock it off. But then again, we need somebody to tell Ray to, yeah, come on, please be the hero of this movie. We have Finn walking out the door, rejecting it as well. I guess both characters, this is their moment to say they're not going to join the resistance and and be who we know they will grow to be. And fortunately, it doesn't hold that false note too long, though, right? I mean, just as soon as this happens, the First Order comes and attacks. But before they get there, they've also launched a volley. They did the Starkiller base. And earlier we said they were Nazis. Here you see it. And Hux... Was that Hux doing that speech? It was. And I don't usually like Hux, but man, that speech had some passion. He loses his mind at the end of that. He's just screaming. And of course, they all do the very, you know, Heil Hitler type salute afterwards. Mm -hmm. This is a weak plot device. This is a crutch. I mean, yeah, they just said we don't want to take the time to invent a new big bad you know we're just gonna do what we've done is it that or is it again this is a soft reboot and we're gonna kind of play the same notes i mean even the phantom menace anakin little anakin went into a a ball i guess that was surrounded by some satellite thing but they're basically fighting mini death stars in that one too that's always been the shape of these weapons it it is weird though that now it's just a big planet i think it's funny it's called star killer because that was Skywalker's original name in one of Lucas's early drafts. But Starkiller Base, how do I loathe you? Let me count the ways. (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's another Death Star. We really need another Death Star. It's bigger! Come on! Uh, They point out it's totally not a Death Star. It's bigger. (laughs) And I get that we're watching a New Hope replay, but did we need this part of it? It feels so tacked on. And then here they destroy a planet. What planet? No, no, they destroy multiple planets. No, no, they destroy a planet and its moons. Is that what it was? I thought it was destroying a star system where it was hitting multiple planets at once. That's not the case? I thought so, too, but it's been clarified it was a planet and its moons. Okay, because they don't name the planet, they name the system. Is this Coruscant? That's what I want to know. Okay, that's... When they cut to that planet and you see tall buildings and people, I'm like, holy shit, are they blowing up Coruscant? Because that would be a big deal. But then they say it's the Hosnian system. And keep in mind in Star Wars, a system is the same as a planet. Oh, okay. That's what threw me off. So what they blew up was Hosnian. And so I'm like, why do I give a shit about Hosnian? Hux is standing there saying, This is the end of the Republic. Yeah. And they blow up this planet we've never heard of with a bunch of people we've never seen on it. Why do I care? In fact, I'll tell you, I don't care. It's like, well, that's a cool visual. And that's it. Yeah, if, it, if it's not Ray or Finn's planet like they did with Leia with Alderaan, if it's just some, if it's not Coruscant, why, yeah, why do I care? I get that it's a big, strong weapon, but I've seen all the Star Wars films. I, I know that's what the bad guys make. I, I want more personal stakes in this explosion. I don't think they wanted that. I think that they just wanted to say, hey, we got a new Death Star and, you know, they have an easy target. Who's going to cry over watching a bunch of politicians go down? I think the intent was not to kill anyone we care about at this point. But were the politicians there? The movie doesn't tell me anything about this planet. I don't know a damn thing about it from the movie. I had to go. This is one of the reasons I read that stupid novelization. Although, I'll tell you a little theory I have. 
I read one comment on Facebook that said if they had blown up Coruscant, that would have been the ultimate middle finger to the prequels. That is true. <laughs> and part of me wonders if they were blowing up Coruscant, like in, in early scripts or something, there's a leaked script that got out. I should check it out. But was it the intent that they blow up Coruscant and at the last minute they're like, well, that's too big of an F you to George. So we're going to make it this. So according to the book, I hate that I had to go there. The Senate is like nomadic. They move from planet to planet now. The Senate isn't on Coruscant. It moves based upon the season or the political party. See, this is where I needed some of the geopolitics. Just a few little lines to really get what's going on. Yeah, and so the Senate is currently on Hosnian, as well as the New Republic fleet. And that is the planet where all the New Republic politicians are. And the book really helps set it up. And there's a lot more Leia, like I said. And one of it is she sends her aide there to talk to the senators to try to get more support. So this planet is built up. The planet is discussed. A character we've read about in the book goes to the planet and then she dies. I'm still not as emotionally impacted as I am by Alderaan, but it helps. That would have it would have worked better, though. Yes. Yeah, that definitely would have helped. This movie does a piss poor job of telling me why I care this planet blew up. I'm just like, ooh, pretty. I don't think you're supposed to care. I think that that I... Then that's a problem in and of itself if I'm not supposed to care that billions of people just died. Yeah, I, I didn't take it that way. The way I took it is, how can we show the power of this thing without taking out anything that we actually have constructed? We'll just have, yeah, some politicians, maybe from those prequels, or, you know, maybe just generic politicians go down. All it does is establish how fearsome this Death Star is, as if we haven't seen something like this before. <laughs> and how foolish they are to use <laughs> their limited ammo on this meaningless planet. Yep. And, I mean, I understand that, but you know what? J.J. destroyed Vulcan in Star Trek. Why not destroy a planet we care about? Yeah, Just take out Coruscant. And it's disappointing that the Starkiller, I, I literally thought it was taking out a whole system. Like, it was taking out the, you know, our Milky Way galaxy. It didn't even take out Pluto. It take out all the planets. But that's not the case. It's just taking out moons. That That seems like a big waste. Why not just shoot it all towards the planet and save yourself some energy so you don't have to recharge it as long? Again, I just feel like this is the point where J.J. announces, hey, guys, we're not actually going to do a plot this time. We just want to set up the characters. So, And that's a problem. We're going to give you what you know before, and we're going to take it out very, very easily. And next time, I do believe, we will get something other than the Death Star. But for this one, they just didn't want to make the effort. So this gets Finn to return, but we get this battle on, again, whatever planet this is in, at, at the cantina, it feels so small-scale. Like, there were all these aliens. Where are they now? Now it's Finn, Han, and Chewie, like, fighting everyone. Like, where did everyone go? It's stormtroopers everywhere, but no one... I, I don't even know who they're shooting at at this point. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It is Ray shooting from the bushes shooting at a stormtrooper that can't hit the broadside of a barn. So I guess... Yeah, that stormtrooper is really bad. Yeah. He, he gets a free shot because she forgets to take the safety off. I didn't know blasters had safeties. Yeah, apparently so. And I mean, Han earlier said it's not just point and shoot. So she had to do that. Now, Finn, he was given a big orange blaster, brownish blaster by Han. And he tries to give it back to Han when he's going to go to the Outer Rim with those aliens, and Han says, keep it. And then he comes back in when the First Order's attacking. He's holding a blaster. 
And then the very next scene, he's running out and Maz says, go fight them. And he goes, I don't have a weapon. And she says, yes, you do. Yeah. Where does gun disappear to? He'll have it again later. But all of a sudden, the gun has magically disappeared. So he has to use a lightsaber. When Finn takes that lightsaber, I'm like, if he starts deflecting laser bolts, that's not going to work. The fact that he's just going to swing it around. I love when he charges that stormtrooper and like sticks it through him like Yoda does in Revenge of the Sith. And uh-huh. You see the cracks through the armor and everything. Like That's nice. I always like the way he handles it. He handles it like a guy, like, let's do this. He doesn't handle it like I've ever seen anyone fight with a lightsaber before. He handles it like it's a battle axe, you know? (laughs) And so I get the feeling that he's not Force-sensitive. Maybe the sequels will prove me wrong, and he does as well as he does later. But I get it as he's using it like a blunt instrument, and it's just kind of fun to see it used that way. I love that he loses the fight against that one Stormtrooper, too. Well, yeah, that Stormtrooper calls him out, traitor! Like, he gets called traitor a bunch in this. Like, everyone seems to know FN2187. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that all of a sudden that stormtrooper that calls him out has, like, this... Grievous's guard had those sticks that could deflect lightsaber lasers. Like, it wouldn't cut it in half. And so he's got some kind of baton that could do that. I, I do feel like maybe that's thrown in to show that Finn did have hand-to-hand combat training as a stormtrooper. It's not just that he's picking up this saber and magically knows how to use it, that he's had training in this kind of thing. I feel like that's the Magna Guard's weapon. George Lucas set the stage that if you put purple lightning around something, <laughs> that lightsaber won't cut it. This is also where Poe comes back in the story. Remember him? I do, and I love seeing him back. I love the way they fly in over the water there, and he is just so kick-ass. He can shoot stormtroopers to the left of Han and the right of Finn. I know, I noticed that the like, second or third time I watched this, because Finn's going to go, wow, what an awesome pilot! And of course, that's he doesn't know it's Poe, but it is. But yeah, they call that out. Like He's picking people off with his X-Wing gun like on the ground. You know what I really think that this one does better than any Star Wars before is that we get to see these aerial battles from the ground, like from the person standing their point of view, that there's just some great moments here with spectators watching the air and watching these dogfights. But yeah, I do love, again, we saw this a little bit on Jakku where we see, yeah, those... These spaceship battles, but from the ground point of view, you know, those X-Wings coming in. We saw this on the trailer, but they're so close to the water. It's all shooting all over. Like, I I love the new stuff that we're given here for the most part. Like, uh, well, I guess I could call Starkiller an old thing. That's not really new because it's just Death Star 3. So, like, these new, yeah, the new ways action is staged here, I'm enjoying. Yeah, and I also really like, it's not quite a battle, but I really like this moment that Rey has in the forest where she's kidnapped by Kylo, that, that it's just approaching sounds at first, that it's for the first time I'm actually kind of scared of Darth Vader 2.0 here when we just kind of <laughs> hear him coming and he just freezes her in place and takes her hostage. He's like, oh, you saw the map, I can just use you. Who needs BB-8? He just takes a glance. That's his problem. Like, he's like, he takes a little peek behind the curtain. Okay, she's got the map in there. He didn't do a full look or else he would have stayed to get BB-8. But because he thinks Ray has the map, he calls off the battle, tells everyone to retreat and go back to their starship. Yeah, I like how he just does that little knockout move. It's kind of like what Qui-Gon did to Jar Jar when he says relax, the way he just does that hand motion and Ray passes out. I'm like, oh, that's a cool use of force power, too. It's like the Vulcan nerve pinch. I wonder where JJ got that idea. <laughs> but this is where we get, like, the, the First Order takes off and the resistance, this one main resistance ship lands. And guess who comes out? General Leia! Remember me? Is it? Because you know what? It could be a CGI creation. If they weren't playing the Princess Leia theme, would you really know that was her? 
I was worried about this. I remember seeing th- that press conference where they're all on stage at celebration. I remember Carrie Fisher coming out and she just like was doing this like nervous scratch in her arm the whole time. Like this is what I was worried about. She does not look like Princess Leia. Harrison Ford looks like Han Solo. Later on, Luke looks badass as Luke, but Carrie Fisher. And it's not even that she doesn't look like her. She's lost that spunk. Maybe it's old age, but she doesn't have that same spunk that made Leia so memorable. But you know what? This is wise. I mean, if you are going to bring Carrie Fisher back and not recast her, and they had to have at least thought about that, right? And admittedly, when I heard they were coming back, I wanted them to recast the entire trio. No, no. I mean, I do think making her general and not princess helps with this disconnect we have with her lack of softness. I mean, I can believe that she's going around the universe barking orders and firing lasers. I It is hard to remember that this was the romantic foil. That, in fact, her moment here with Han Solo is, I saw our son. The big reveal is that Kylo Ren is, in fact their child and what busted them up the reason why they're not even together is because their kid went evil and we actually knew that that was told to the audience when snoke was talking to ren but yeah here we get leia and han confirming it in case anyone had doubts i guess but it's i like seeing them back together i like hearing the leia theme back I think their moments work. I think Harrison Ford is carrying a heavy load to make them work. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the same chemistry. It isn't, but you know what? It's not bad. I mean, I want to emphasize predicting the worst. She gets through it, and God bless her. I mean, if she's gone through all these struggles, it must have been quite a thing to even commit to to doing what must have only been, what, a couple scenes, really. She has a a scene in a command center and a moment with Ray later and then this big emotional scene here with Han. I mean, she gets through it. I mean, and I think it would be weird if it was Blythe Danner and not Carrie Fisher. I mean, if it's going to be Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, it needs to be Carrie Fisher. And so it is what it is. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see it recasted. No. You go to war with the army you have. (laughs) This is the Carrie Fisher they have. But it just is unfortunate because especially having sat through the the entire saga and just seen Carrie Fisher in Return of the Jedi where she was already starting to look slightly haggard to jump to this. It's disheartening, really. You just... I feel bad for Carrie, truthfully, and all of her issues. Well, we should. I mean, I think that that's the right place to be. It sounds like she's had a rough life, and congratulations on getting through this and not, quote-unquote, ruining (laughs) it. You're better than Jar Jar. Now, what do you think about her and Han's relationship? Because part of me is upset that they didn't get a happily ever after. They were the love story of the original trilogy. The saga ends with them kissing and he's my brother is the last line in episode six. They get together and... I was wondering what happened to Leia. When Han showed up and he and Chewie were back smuggling without Leia, I was like, oh, that's that's really kind of sad. And here, the book makes it sound like they're not divorced. They're just separated. They still call them husband and wife in the book. Here, maybe they're divorced, but it sounds like they had rough times. 
I never get the sense that they're divorced in this. That just that, yeah, losing Ben, their son, who became Kylo Ren, was such a traumatic ordeal. And, and you see this in real life. Either you physically lose a child or, or something awful happens. It could tear a husband and wife apart. And they kind of just get involved in their own work. Leia's a general, so she's helping the resistance. And Han goes back to doing what he knows best, smuggling. Yeah, no, I love this. I actually think that this is, emotionally speaking, the best moment in this episode. It's really the only time where I felt like, yeah, the old characters get a moment that's human, that they're not just there as props to make us applaud, that it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that they went through something, that that you realize how painful it would be, that it's not just a cartoon villain that we're facing this time, but in fact, it's their child, and how painful that must be to watch something that you raised and love become potentially a new Darth Vader. Yeah, again, uh, just doing these little twists on what we'd seen before, instead of the child trying to help the parent, now it is the parent trying to help the child. But they clearly wanted their kid to be in the lineage of super-powered beings, and the the bad news is he is. He's just evil. I get the sense that he was turning evil because they felt like he was going astray, so they sent him to Luke to train. It's not like Luke was training him from, you know, as a baby, as the Jedi Order might. It, it felt like, oh, we have a problem child. Let's send him to the military camp to just try to straighten him up. And that's where that it, it feels mm. like Ben was already Force-sensitive and doing bad things with it. So they hoped that Luke could help set him straight. I'm sure that it will be explained in an expanded universe. It's just kind of Jungian, right? Like the fact that you could be born bad, that the traits of your grandparents could just be passed down genetically is uh, a concept that we've gotten away from. I do not feel like that is heavily promoted in today's society, but it makes this world kind of interesting. What I wonder if it's passed down is this weird Jedi trait that when you done screw up, you just exile yourself and go into hiding. Like, we saw Yoda do that. Like, well, we screwed up with Anakin, so Yoda's going to go to Dagobah. And, and now Luke has done this with Kylo Ren. Like, we find out from Han and Leia that this is why Luke disappeared. He just couldn't take this failure. So instead of fix the problem, bye. See you later. You guys deal with it. I won't have any criticism for this until we have episode eight. I mean, that is what they're telling <laughs> okay, us happened. You're waiting. I don't know that they conclusively even say that he was the one that trained Kylo Ren. I feel like I'm making that jump. I mean, Leia says she sent him to Luke. Okay. So. All right. All right. So it is there. I, all right. But yeah, I mean, what Luke is doing is a mystery, even as critics roll, but I'm looking forward to getting an answer. Yeah, we're told he's supposedly finding the first Jedi temple is what he's looking for. All right. You know, I knew C-3PO was coming back. I think I had read it in one of the few things I read about this movie. Did not know about R2 and did not know that he was grieving on low power. He's comatose. He's sad. He's depressed. What is with him? I don't even understand. Like, BB-8 just walks up to him and, like, pulls off that sheet to reveal him. It's, it's the weirdest reveal in the film. It's a big applause moment. I mean, we want to see old droid and new droid together at last. It's odd. I actually will go with that, okay? I get it. I get C-3PO making us afraid he may never be his old self. What I don't get is whenever he decides to turn himself back on. And we'll get to that scene, but it's so, like, does he feel in the force that Harrison Ford has died too? I don't get what R2's doing here. We were told that maybe he has the other part of the map, but C-3PO doesn't seem to think so. Questions for another time or contrivances to annoy us now? I, <laughs> I, I choose the former, you know? I just, believe me. It's not satisfying that I don't have a complete story here, but at this point, I just know they don't tell those. 
That's not what people come to expect. And yet, a movie still needs to tell a self-contained story. I stand by that. Even a franchise movie, you know? And that's one of my big dings on the Hobbit films when we did those, so... Yeah, no, I agree. It's it, The more that they can at least make this episode about something, the better. I think this one is about establishing new characters and giving them some contrived Death Star 3.0 to blow up. Yeah, we're going to learn more about Rey as we go back to the Starkiller base where Kylo Ren has taken her. And they have like a, what, a force off here? Uh, This is not how the force works. This force is not spider powers after you get bit by a spider. It is fictional. You have to train. You have to study. You have to... It's yoga. It's meditation. It's Middle Eastern philosophy and religion. It's not, oh, hey, I'm gonna just feel you in my head and fight back and immediately read your mind instead. I just hate that she's this special snowflake. I mean, I wonder if this is a comment on millennials and just trying to appeal to that audience. Oh, you're special. You don't have to work for what you get. Just attendance is enough. Now you can use the force (laughs) better than anybody who came before you. Whereas Luke and Anakin and Obi-Wan, they had to work for it. But you, not you, you are special, just like your parents said. Because why else would she be able to just use these powers so well? But it's been awakened, right? I mean, that's the title of this, is that she didn't know she had the Force, but by hanging out with this dude, she now has it, right? By being in close proximity to the lightsaber, by hanging out with this man in a mask who may or may not be a blood relation, these things are coming to her new. She has never done these things before. Right, but I wonder, because she is still on Jakku, she's just met up with BB-8, she hasn't done anything, she might have flown the Falcon, when Snoke tells him, there's been an awakening, have you felt it? What awoke, what happened in her? Was flying the Falcon so much that it kick-started the Force in her? I don't know what awoke. I get that the Force Awakens is in her, but I don't know why Snoke says what he says. You know what? I feel like we've never really been told a whole lot about the Force, where I, so I'm not annoyed that certain rules are perhaps being broken. I mean, at first we get this really poetic language in the original trilogy. You know, it's this stuff that flows through everything and brings everything together and binds it all. And then we're told it's germs in your blood and the prequels. Here, here's more expansion or definition of what it is i i don't know what they're doing with it here i kind of feel like Stuart. well i'll I'll wait to sit this one out to see where this is going because we're not going to be told a whole lot here i'd have bought it more if they went the anakin phantom menace route where he doesn't know he's using the powers but he is i mean qui-gon and shmi skywalker talking and reveals that he can see things before they happen he has such a high midichlorian count that he is innately using the force well if ray had gone up to simon Pegg and he goes i give you a quarter portion and she goes it's worth a full portion and he goes all right here's a full portion just something where she thinks she's a good negotiator but she's actually innately calling on the force i would have gone with it more that she'd then be able to intentionally harness it with absolutely no training just a lightning jolt from a lightsaber but as it is come on it just goes back to my problem that she is too perfect a character 
Yeah, I don't know that if they had shown it earlier, I would have understood that she hadn't been doing it all her life. That, to me, by doing it this way, it's the awakening of her past and her memories is connected with her power. That there is some kind of connection with her and that lightsaber, and that that is what is doing the awakening. Had she not gone to Maz and that temple... She wouldn't be doing these things now. Maybe. We've never seen a lightsaber just instantly jolt the Force awaken someone, but you know what? There's a lot we haven't seen. I've never seen the Force stop a blaster bolt, and I thought that was kick-ass. I'll I'll defer <laughs> my hatred until part nine. You'll see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> hatred. Yeah. You could potentially hate this. I do hate how perfect Rey is as a character and that she has no hero's journey to follow at all. Now, I'm not saying she needs to follow the Campbellian hero's journey, but I like characters who have some place to evolve to. She doesn't. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that train. I do feel like she needs to be more imperfect, more fallible in order to be more interesting. I think what they do with Rey here, she's with Ren, so to make this super confusing, Rey and Ren, like, he takes off his mask, he's like, are, are you afraid what's underneath? And I am wondering, what are we going to see underneath that mask? Because we know why Vader wore it. Everyone's leaning forward. Oh yeah, and he takes it off, and it's just a regular dude. As much as Kylo Ren wants to be Darth Vader, he still is young and naive as Rey is. Like, he's not as powerful as he thinks he is, and I think that's why it works when Rey is able to read his mind at this point when he's trying to read hers. These are two characters that are not Jedi or true Sith yet. I just think that if he's supposed to be the big bad, then they cast poorly because he's just a petulant jerk. Well, we know he's not the big bad. We've seen the giant bad guy in hologram. I don't form. give a damn what you say about the Emperor. Vader's the big bad of the first trilogy. <laughs> and here, Snorkel is just a hologram. Right now, you're telling me that Kylo Ren is the new Vader, even though he knows he's a wannabe. But if this is supposed to be his redemption and they picked a actor who acts like a loser so that we care about him more and want to see him return to the light, then they shouldn't have him commit patricide in the most evil way possible. Well, we don't know that's where it's going, but I do like the idea that these are shadows. We've heard of these legends of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. These are people playing in their shadow, that they've heard the legends and the myths, and they're trying to repeat that, but they, they're not the same. Just like, I, I think that's commentary on this film, like, J.J.'s got to create something in the Star Wars universe he's playing in George Lucas's shadow and how do you do that? Yeah, I do feel like this guy is a stand-in for J.J. Like when it took off the mask, it could just be J.J. I mean, he could play the part <laughs> himself. He is the wannabe aspiring to create the same experience and probably self-doubting himself. Let's just get to that scene. I mean, I really feel like, yeah, there's some shenanigans about where's Ray, and we have some more cute banter between Han and Finn as they, you know, fly at light speed to this Death Star, Star Killer planet thing. But basically, the point is they're going to be setting up bomb charges when Kylo Ren comes to see his father. And we get... First, they got to get the shields taken down. And Finn says, oh, yeah, I could do that. But I can't tell you till we actually get on the planet because he's lying. Like, he wants to save Rey. And he was a sanitation guy. I don't like how they get the shields taken down. Like, to me, this feels like rushed and lazy. They capture Phasma. And they're like, turn the shields off. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and now we'll throw her in the trash compactor and never see her again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really understanding why Phasma... I thought this was supposed to be the new Boba Fett. Like, I thought that's what she was designed. Oh, she is. She does nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> 
the whole thing's lazy. I mean, I can't say anything other than the fact that I don't really care because it's about the characters. I like Finn. I like Han. I like Rey. I just like hanging with them. And the fact that they're going through this carbon copy wannabe episode four is, well, just what they're doing now. It leads me to believe that things are going to get better in the future, but they needed to just give us something familiar to establish these new characters. But can we please just get to the moment that matters, the only moment that matters once they go to Starkiller, and that is Han facing off with his son. I like that he saw Ren on the planet with Maz, and he just stands there. And even though Ren is taking Rey aboard the ship, Han just stands there, and then Finn's like, they've got her, and Han's just like, yeah, I saw. And Leia's like, talk to our son. Luke is a Jedi, but you're his father. And I get from Harrison Ford's performance, conflict. He sees Ren, and every part of him is like, let's get the hell out of here. But Leia wanted him to try, and so he tried. And she says, bring back our son. Like, not just talk to him, like, bring him home. Mm-hmm. So he's going to try, and I, I like that. But I knew. I mean, I knew when he came on the base. His goodbyes to Leia, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely corpse. Well, yeah. come on, Arnie. If this has been repeating A New Hope, this is the Vader and Obi-Wan confronting each other. It's like, it's in the middle of everything. Why There's a, this fight going on. Like, yeah, they're going to go out and confront each other now. I mean, it's even taking place on one of those long bridges where we saw the, the big moment between Luke and his father. I mean, I, they're clearly trying to reference what they've done before. And yeah, I think most people are going to know that uh, only one of them is walking away. And I would predict most people would think that, yes, this is Han's final bow here. The surprise is not that he dies. The surprise is that Kylo Ren actually has some fight, really, with whether to do it or not. And again, this is childish, but I like the symbolism here. It's when that star is depleted and everything goes black. That is when Ren finally gives in to killing his father. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that he'd have a moment where he wasn't going to kill his father. That is the surprise <laughs> that he actually, for a second, considers handing over that saber and being a dutiful son. Does he or is this all a trap? Yes, he absolutely does. It's not all a trick. I think he is conflicted here. That is Clear that his story conflicted. arc. That it, he is pulled by the light side, which I like that reversal. Yes, if the star had not been ready to fire, if that dark side had not fallen over the planet I believe that he would have in a moment of weakness or strength depending on how you want to look at it gone into that Millennium Falcon and gone back to see his mom and I wondered, you know, watching this a second time, it's like he holds out the saber and Han puts his hand on it. If Han had just taken it a little bit faster instead of just standing <laughs> there posing, then he'd have lived. But he gathers strength, or at least the evil of the Force, and regains his composure as a villain and skewers Han Solo. He's just not a good enough character to deserve killing Han Solo. And I think Han deserved a better death. He kind of goes out like a punk. It's not really heroic. And he just then unceremoniously falls. You know, I'm thinking of great cinematic deaths. And I went back to The Wrath of Khan, Spock's death. I knew he was coming back to life the first time I saw that. And I was a teenager and I wept like a six-year-old. You know, that kind of a death is what an established character needs. Not just, <gasps> I'm falling. 
goodbye. Well, that is one of the things. I looked around the theater. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see, like, the reaction. Yep. And the, the second showing I went to, there was a lot more kids. And there were a couple of kids. I guess it was, like, Optimus Prime dying. <laughs> like, there was crying in the second showing, but it was by children. I didn't see a lot of people wiping tears, though. The, especially at the first one, where it was more adults. I think people kind of expected this. I, you might be right, Arnie. I, I do like the fact that it's an intimate death. That it's his son that kills him. And that they leave no hints that he might be coming back like he falls down that shaft and he is dead for sure i think that's what they wanted to make marjorie cried not much a little bit and she walked out angry that it wasn't a better death for him i was just kind of cold to it which means it was done badly if you take my childhood hero and kill him i should feel something yeah i mean i don't think i was you know prone to shedding tears for this moment i don't think it was designed to be shocking like i said there was a sort of grim inevitability to what was about to transpire you're really watching it like a tragedy like oedipus rex or something like ah at last the moment we knew was coming is here and you know how poetic or or ironic that it is his own son here. But yeah, I don't feel like it's a big emotional moment. And I, I don't know what else you could design that would be more fulfilling or shocking. I, I'm not sure what would be the right impulse if you knew that Harrison Ford wasn't coming back. I think I would just have liked, if not shocking, emotional. I would have liked to have had something with an established character instead of this brand new whiny kid turning on the lightsaber through his father. I would have liked there to be him not falling off the catwalk. Maybe, you know, he touches his son's face before he falls. I would have just liked something more still for a way for the character to say goodbye. I mean, I guess the entire movie is his way of saying goodbye, it felt so workmanlike and not sad. I think they had a sad moment that they wasted. Chewie's upset. Yeah, Chewie actually gets a shot in. Then this bowcaster that has been so powerful, I guess it just does some surface damage to Kylo Ren. Maybe he was too high up when he hits him. Oh, that's great, though. The audience cheered. That's a shock. I... That is a shock that Chewie shoots him, like, and hits him. I love that. It's like, he gets a shot in, too. This is a series where nobody hits their mark, right? But <laughs> Chewie, he gets that shot in, and Ren goes down, and he bleeds for the rest of the movie, from. Yeah, I mean, and Leia, she gets to do a Yoda impression there. I mean, we cut away. <laughs> that's her force moment. We know that she's still somewhat strong with it because she knows without ever being told that her lover or husband, whatever you want to call him, he's gone. But yeah, once that happens, now we're just into really a lightsaber fight. Jacob, I think you complained during Attack of the Clones there was no Star Wars in Star Wars. And here, this little space battle could be nothing if not ignored. You know, Poe is there in theory. Yeah, I I feel like the film is ignoring it. Like, during the initial attack, like, the film pays attention. And then it's just background stuff. Like, we don't really know that air battle's going on until Han and all of them walk out at one point. They're like, oh, we can't leave yet. We got to turn around and save them. They're in danger. And that's when they go and plan all the explosive charges. But yeah, Poe, he does some move at the end. They, they go, I feel like Death Star 2, where he gets into the core and shoots things up. But I don't feel... I've been impressed with the other battles, air spaceship battles. But this one, maybe it's because they knew we've already seen this twice. Yes. They're not going to pay much mind to it. It's definitely that. I would be furious if they spent 10 minutes going around corridors and flipping and all of that to do what we know that they're going to do. That would be so irritating. Yes, it's an afterthought. 
that he blows it off. And, and we don't care about this battle because we care about the battle that's raging in the forest where our young woman, strong with the force, is going to face off with her half-brother, cousin, whatever he is. Who knows? Kylo Ren and Ray. But first, Finn faces off. He takes the lightsaber first and faces off against Kylo Ren. And I guess he gets he gets a couple of hits in, maybe because Kylo Ren, like you said, Arnie, he's bleeding out. He's been injured. I love that he's pounding himself. It's like the only time he ever felt tough is when he starts pounding himself and bleeding on the ground. Just like, I'm injured and I'm going to use it to my advantage to call on the dark side, if that's what they're going for. (laughs) I was shocked. I thought they killed Finn. Like, that kind of slash across the back in a samurai film, that's a kill shot. And I thought that they might kill Finn, too. I didn't guarantee John Boyega a return appearance because I wondered if he would die. I wondered if J.J. would up the stakes that much to introduce characters and then kill one to let us know no one is safe. And yeah, when that slash comes up the back, I'm like, damn, they did it. They didn't. No, but I'll tell you, when that lightsaber, it's in the snow, just like an Empire Strikes Back, and it starts moving. Kylo Ren's trying to take it. He's like, that is my rightful saber. It is the saber of my grandfather, Darth Vader. And when Rey uses the Force to grab it and lights it up, and Luke Skywalker's theme starts playing, that is, that is one of the few times the audience went crazy for the new characters. Like, yep. got the cheers that the old characters got. I think that this is half a good scene. I really feel like it starts off really exciting, and then I feel like there's almost like a Des Ex Machina that, you know, they're suddenly on the Genesis planet and the big crack <laughs> appears and she can't finish the job. I'm thinking here's the twist of the film because we, we, I think we've all said more or less that there's not a whole lot of surprises here mm-hmm. despite Disney battening the hatches down so tight. When she's like, Kylo Ren's like, I could teach you the ways of the Force. And she's like, the Force? Oh, yeah. And she taps into that and she goes aggro and like that final slash, like I thought she took off Kylo Ren's head at one point. And I'm like, oh, we're going to see Rey go evil. This is Rey's downfall. She's going to kill a Sith and embrace the dark side. And that's going to be the big surprise. It really felt like she becomes so aggressive when she tapped into the force that we were going to see her really go dark. I thought the same thing, Jacob. You're not alone in that. I really wondered if that's what we were going to. We, of course, don't in this movie. I'm not going to be convinced that it won't happen later. I'm still just perturbed that he has trained for so long and Finn stands up to him pretty well and gets a tag in and Ray does this. It's like, I mean, he's been shot and slashed a couple times by his saber. Ren is not up full strength here. Yeah. And, and there may be some residual emotional damage from having just killed his father. I mean, I'm not sure that that didn't leave a mark in and of itself as well here. I'm hearing you really don't like this new villain, but that's, That's too bad. I actually, I like the conflicts that you're citing as wimpiness and weakness. They're going to have to justify it to me. I feel this entire movie has weak villains where we have a superhero as our main lead and we have a whole bunch of neurotic people going against her. Well, that the problem is they need to correct on Ray, not that we suddenly need Kylo Ren to be a super badass in every scene. I think that that is 
Uh, again, anytime you can show foibles and mistakes, to me, Star Wars becomes more human. It becomes less sterile. I can connect with the characters more. I mean, you guys have no issue with how good she is with a saber having never touched one before. I mean, we've seen her use force control. We've seen her read Kylo Ren's mind. I, I feel like this, maybe someone's working through her. Maybe Luke is working through her. To be determined, I guess, is what I'm going to say. I don't have a problem in this film seeing someone having natural force abilities. I think you're right, Arnie. Yes, she should have more conflict. And I don't know where you write that in. But yes, the fact that she does everything right and nothing wrong was a mistake. But in this ending, I think we needed to see her at her most fierce. And I do think that this is the moment that wins everybody over for her. I agree. The audience really loves her in this fight. And I do too. I, I you know, the gleam in the, of the lightsaber in her eyes. She looks fierce and, you know, she's not trained as a Jedi, but we feel like she's earned the title. I'll agree, though, just in the moment, I'm having a lot of fun watching it. It's like there's two halves of my brain, and one's like, this is fun. And the other's like, yeah, but it's dumb fun. But there is a little bit of movie still to go over here. We got BB-8 and R2 going to pal around. Yeah, R2 wakes up. He, he awakens for some reason. He's not sad anymore. Why? <laughs> because Han's dead? He's like, woohoo? I have always been a little suspicious about R2's motivations. I've never seen him as a purely benevolent figure, and I have no idea what he's plotting in the shadows. But yeah, we now have both maps coming together, and it's decided that Rey is going to go. I, why? Why does Leia hug Rey? They've never met. Because Rey's trying to get up the nerve to say, uh, by the way, Han is dead, and I think that she's telling her... I know. Yeah. Okay, that helps explain that to me. And because it's a daughter or a niece as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you're on to something. I'm, again, I think she's Skywalker, but, but we'll see. But yeah, she's chosen. She goes with Chewie and Art too to go find Luke. We have to get there. And I also think there's parody. You took away Han. You're going to give us Luke. We should walk out feeling as excited for Luke as we feel sad for Han. It works. I got to say. Mark Hamill, he looks badass with that beard and that hair. You know, Han's death didn't get a lot of reaction out of people. But again, looking around, just seeing Luke from the back before he even turns around, like people were like inching up on their seats. Like this excited people. It excited me. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. I mean, you got the, I think it's Iceland or Scotland or somewhere around there. You got that beautiful landscape. She climbs the stair. He's he's waiting there. I mean, it's a great way to end this moment. It's the, it's the perfect visual. We've been waiting for him the whole movie. He looks amazing. He's got stories to tell. It, nothing is going to make you ask for questions about episode eight because really nothing that happens before leaves me that much curiosity. But him... I want to know about next time we convene. Is he coming back for good? Like, is he going to be a big Harrison Ford part of episode eight? Who knows? Yeah, he's the biggest grabber that this movie's got. Even though the best characters are the new ones, I feel like the story you want to know about next time, it's Luke. Oh, yeah. And the only issue I have with that is, again, I said earlier, movies should be a self-contained story, right? And I looked at the Star Wars saga, and I feel episodes one, three... Four and six 
are all self-contained stories. Two and five both end with a lot unresolved. Two, begun the Clone Wars have, okay? I mean, a story is resolved in that Anakin gets married, but that's it. Five, nothing is resolved. Hans in Carbonite, Luke lost his hand. They lost a base, but it's not that much here. I feel like we have an episode five ending where we got to get back together and do something. This feels like... Empire Strikes Back ending. We have Finn. He's been hospitalized. He's still alive. He had a heartbeat. Ray says, I'll see you again. Yeah, the, the group is pulled apart at this point, mm-hmm. And we really haven't even had a chance to get him to come back together. I feel like the way they flip the bad guys, feeling the light side of the force. I, I don't know where this trilogy is going. It feels like it might go into a very dark place because they've reversed so many of the things we are familiar with. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Star Wars? Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Jacob. Yes, something has awoken into me. I wasn't real hyped up. I didn't go Thursday night to see this, like, at the first possible time. I waited till Friday morning where, you know, not as many people waiting around. And I didn't plan on seeing it three times, but I ended up seeing it three times. I planned on once. I really enjoyed this film. Yes, is it derivative of the original 77 Star Wars film? Yeah, but I feel like Phantom Menace did that. I feel like that's how a lot of soft reboots are happening these days. I talked about Jurassic World. and So the ending of this is when it it gets really annoying, when it just turns into a Death Star trench attack. But everything building up to that, the characters, I like them. I like the new characters. I like most of the old characters. Chewie and Han are maybe their best performance in all of the films in this one. Like, I'm laughing the most, at least. I like Finn. I like Rey. I, I want to know what their story is. I want to see where things are going. Even before that cliffhanger at the end, literally ending on a cliff with Luke Skywalker standing there, I, I wanted to know what is the next story. And I didn't really expect that. I Like I said, I wasn't so hyped for this one. I didn't think I'd be like, oh, great. I got to wait two years for the next one. Dang it. But that's how I felt throughout this film. I, I like the action for the most part. I like this new take on Star Wars from new creators. It's not George Lucas. And yeah, it's up there for me. I mean, Empire, New Hope, and then The Force Awakens for me. Yeah, it does the job it needed to. I mean, it's called Force Awakens. The only thing it had to do was make people forget about that prequel and get a real enthusiasm for what is going to ramp up to be another giant franchise, not unlike the Marvel Universe. I mean, the sound you hear is the pistons firing up for a giant factory that's going to manufacture hundreds and hundreds of stories that I'm convinced will answer all of the incontinuities and things that this opening salvo does not explain. It does not bother me that much that this is an incomplete story because it's just what we know franchises are these days, that they're not going to have a tight-knit hero's journey for Rey. This is about giving you all kinds of characters. And I think this is really the blessing of Force Awakens. The story, like I said, afterthought. Who cares? It's dull. It's derivative. It's not in any way compelling, but it doesn't get in the way of what are some great characters. Both the old favorites have a nice bow and the new characters. Really, some of the finest characters of the entire series are Finn and Rey and Poe, even Kylo Ren. I mean, I'm curious to see what is his journey going to be. I think all of these characters 
are compelling, and I have no doubt that we'll be talking about how much better Episode Eight is when it comes out in two years. I think they've done a great job of relaunching a franchise, and if there's disappointment, and boy, I'm hearing it on this podcast, I think it's kind of the Return of the Jedi thing. It's like that moment where they take off the mask and you go, oh, it's just an old man. It's just a movie. It's, you know, for those that needed this to be more than just a good opening pilot for a new, very splashy Star Wars franchise, uh, yeah, I guess this is a little frustrating. I guess you would feel like this is not the spiritual journey that Luke went on in that first Star Wars movie. It won't move you the same way that the 77 movie or the Empire Strikes Back does. But it does the job it needs to. And yeah, you bring up Jurassic World, I think that it is as good as that. It reminds me of a franchise that has taken its best ideas, reworked them in an expensive way, and promised new creative directions for the future. I can't deny with what either of you have said, but I think when the Star Wars logo came, I thought we'd be back to the best of Star Wars. I think, Stuart, even you kind of jacked me up a little bit by going, you think the best Star Wars movie. I mean, you repeatedly said in our previous reviews, the best Star Wars movie is yet to come. I still think that. I still think that some future sequel could be better than anything we've ever gotten. But I think I went in thinking it would be original trilogy good. And really, I mean Empire Star Wars good, because I think Jedi, when I rank them, is mixed with the prequels. And what I got... I just have to laugh at all the people who go, prequels suck, Force Awakens rules. Well, they're, they're kind of on par in my mind. Honestly, I feel like this is about Revenge of the Sith level. On Facebook, they had a thing that I got tagged in by a friend. Describe your feelings about the Force Awakens in a Star Wars quote. And it hit me instantly, like it perfectly summed up my feelings. The Force is with you, young Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet. I think they introduced some great characters. I like Poe because of what the actor does. The character doesn't do shit. I like Rey because of what the actress does. The character does too much. I like Finn a lot. And he does the right amount of stuff. (laughs) The plot is nonsense. Rey overpowered. Ren does not inspire me to think of him as a good villain. But not every villain has to be Darth Vader. There's a lot of other ways to be a good villain. And Kylo Ren doesn't succeed in any of that. And I don't even know what the hell Snorkel is. (laughs) I'll give you that. That is not compelling. (laughs) I like Hawks of best of the three. And he doesn't do anything. He gives a good speech. He talks best of all three of them. So I gotta say... Like Star Trek 2009, I had a really fun time. But like Star Trek 2009, I'm also like, there are logical plot holes here that make no sense. Like Spock beaming Kirk down to that planet. Huh? And there's a callbacks to the original. We get old Han instead of old Spock. Okay. And it just feels like that movie done again. Only now we're in the Falcon instead of the Enterprise. I like that movie. I like this movie. But... It's not the second coming. And where do I rank it? The first time I watched it, I walked out and all I could focus on was Ray's overpowering, the lame plot, the retreads of A New Hope. That's what I said earlier in the film. 
this doesn't really feel like a Star Wars film any more than 2009 Star Trek felt like a Star Trek film. And I guess I now understand why old school Trekkies were really, really upset with 2009's Trek. It's just a totally different vibe. And now I see 2009's Trek and The Force Awakens, they're in the same universe together in the J.J. Abrams verse. But this didn't have the Star Wars vibe. It had Star Wars iconography, but just felt so different than anything that came before. And I guess we're ushering in a new era, but while he did rain down the lens flare, and I'm happy for that, I'm equally happy that J.J. is stepping away from the franchise now, and let's get it to some different hands who can make perhaps different types of films. But each time I watch it, I went back a second time because I wanted to really evaluate it. And the fun part stayed fun, and the problems became something I was able to accept more because of the fun. And seeing it a third time, the problems became lesser still, and the fun became greater still. So, over time, are my problems going to diminish with this? Probably. Over time, could the sequels elevate this in my mind, where I come back and go, Oh, that's why they did this. Well, they could retcon stuff, or there could be stuff planned, and I'd like to think I'm smart enough to smell the difference between them. There's a chance of that. But right now, I'd say it's on par with the upper end of the prequels. And so to rank the entire saga, the, all the Star Wars movies we've done, A New Hope is number one for me, not Empire. I just think A New Hope is a bit better pacing and a lot more fun. Empire's number two, it's got the heart. Now I'm really in a tie between Revenge of the Sith and The Force Awakens. Revenge of the Sith has the culmination of Anakin's journey and real heart with You Are My Brother Anakin. But it also has some real... I mean, it's got higher highs than Force Awakens, but much lower lows than Force Awakens, too. I'll put Force Awakens as third best, Revenge of the Sith fourth, Return of the Jedi fifth, Attack of the Clones sixth, Phantom Menace seventh, Ewok movie number two eighth, oh, Ewok God. movie number one Oh, gosh, ninth. we gotta rate those, too? <laughs> and The Clone Wars is dead last. And if we're going to preview Holiday Special, it's right about the same as Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny because as both Star Wars fans, Arnie and myself, like we rate the top three more or less the same. Like Force Awakens is in the same spot in the top three. I go for Empire before New Hope and then Force Awakens. Then Return of the Jedi. Then it gets a little bit trickier. That My real struggle is Phantom Menace or Revenge of the Sith. I just hate what they did with Anakin. Like they just ruined such a pivotal moment. But I guess I give Revenge of the Sith. And then Phantom Menace, and then, yeah, Attack of the Clones. Uh, those Ewok films, we got to rate those too? I, second one, is that where everyone dies? That yes. one? That's the one that had the dark tone, but... Yeah, that's the better of the two. And then, yeah, that Clone Wars cartoon down at the bottom there. Yeah, ranking this saga, I mean, honestly, I feel like the, the clear demarcation is Empire Strikes Back. And then everything else, honestly. It's like really the best one by a landslide, by a large margin, is that episode five. And then Jedi and even Star Wars both kind of felt close. But, you know, I do feel like the thing to always stress about A New Hope is how wonderful that spiritual quality is that's going to put it in the number two slot. And then, yeah, it's a real question about is it Jedi or this new one? In some ways, this new one is just a splashy remake 
of Jedi. So I think that gives it the edge. I think just purely on technical terms that I'm going to rank number three as The Force Awakens and number four as Jedi, but it's a coin toss, honestly. Prequels, Sith, Clone, and Phantom Menace, but truly the satisfaction of it is is replete throughout all of it. I mean, keep in mind, I gave a green arrow to Attack of the Clones. I retracted it after I watched Sith. So you tell me. I mean, I don't know. All I know <laughs> is that's a whole lot of headache in that prequel trilogy. And Ewoks, yeah, the second one where the teddy bears died was a little bit more Star Wars. It was also a little more Willow. I'll give it to that. I guess, but honestly, don't watch anything but the original trilogy and this new movie. Well, I do know that Force Awakens is not my favorite film of the year. I think movies we've reviewed, Kingsman and Mad Max, are my number one and two. But I do wonder if a movie that I'm seeing in just a few days might become my number one film, Tarantino's Hateful Eight. Yeah, I'm more excited about that than obviously I would be about going to The Force or really a lot of these callbacks. I, I really always like it when we can go to a new world. And yeah, Tarantino, he's done Westerns before, but this is a new thing. From what I hear, it's kind of a murder mystery. It's got a really long runtime. It's got an interesting cast. I'm looking forward to Hateful Eight. Go, But if you want to hear our thoughts about that and the Hateful Eight, and we've got a whole lot of other Quentin Tarantino films that are already available, Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, you could go to nowplayingpodcast.com and click on the donation banner to find out all those details. And like we always say, it's donor support that keeps our show on the air. It's donor support that helps pay for the servers that are going to get really hard because I think Force Awakens is probably our most anticipated show ever. Awaken the servers have. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Awaken our wallets have to pay for the new servers, though. And we've moved to virtual private machines for the website and the forums and just a lot of expense behind the scenes and a lot of hard work. We have Heath, who's our just great editor, working overnight editing shows to keep us on the schedule and seeing the movies multiple times. I did see this a third time just for the notes, not for the enjoyment. We couldn't do this without listener support. So I've heard the feedback that some people aren't interested in Hunger Games or some people aren't interested in Tarantino and I completely respect your tastes, but if you enjoy our show and want to see us keep going week after week, we really could use your support. So please, I know it's the holiday season and I know times are tight, but if you can do something this Christmas to help now playing, we'd truly appreciate it and you'd get up to 20 podcasts back. And it's your support that's going to allow us to go into 2016. We've got another really big year planned we've talked about some of this on creed but we are going to a week from today between christmas and new year's we've got the star wars holiday special and then we're going to keep going with grindhouse grindhouse is the platinum and gold level review we've got death proof for gold grindhouse the whole experience for platinum coming out in just a couple days well in january we're going to go into the Grindhouse Expanded Universe, I guess I'll call it. <laughs> the spinoffs of Grindhouse. The films that started as Grindhouse trailers that actually graduated into full films. We're starting with Machete and Machete Kills. And then Hobo with a Shotgun. 
And then we're going back to DC. We have Batman v Superman coming out in March. So we're going to hit some of those properties we haven't reviewed yet, starting with Matthew Vaughn doing Stardust. And then, yes, other team films since Batman v Superman is Dawn of Justice. I think they should put in parentheses League there. How about some <laughs> Watchmen? People are like, you know you didn't do Watchmen? Really? We know. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it. And League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or LXG, as it was marketed in the early 2000s. I know that I know Legend of the Superheroes is going to be worse than that. I mean... God help me. Come on, if we did all that Hulk and Captain America stuff for TV, <laughs> why not? <laughs> and then also American Splendor, which is a, a strange one. I got to say, I didn't ever think of Paul Giamatti being a a superhero, but and I suppose he's not, <laughs> but he is a, what, comic book writer writing himself? Yeah, it, Harvey P. Carr, who made a comic career by doing autobiographical comic, and it got made into a film. It sounds like my kind of comic, a curmudgeon comic. It does. It does, Stuart. <laughs> Unfortunately for you guys, the movie that I'm most looking forward to talking about, like... <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, Stuart's favorite. Mm. Deadpool. I could not be more hyped for Deadpool. And then later in the year, of course, Captain America Civil War. But we're going to be doing some more comic book movies. We're going to be doing DC's Spirit Films. Ooh. There was two of them. One was a TV movie. Yeah. Look it up. I did. I couldn't believe it. And people have been asking about this as much or more than Watchmen. We will be getting back to Stephen King next year. And eventually we're going to be getting here to Cujo, Running Man, and then different seasons, which has Stand By Me and Shawshank Redemption. I'm excited to be getting back to King. I'm really, really happy with the work we've been doing there. I've been itching to get back to Books and Nachos, but... We took on a lot this year, and I want to thank our listeners for being with us as we did, you know? But we're hoping for next year to be even bigger. Plus, there's Independence Day and Ghostbusters. They don't thing. promise nothing, no. I'm just saying they might pop up somewhere. I'm just saying we're in talks. <laughs> Negotiations, yes, are going <laughs> yes, on. Yes, there right are now. lots of franchises coming out next summer, and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> no, we don't. Born... Purge. I know we're doing Suicide Squad, and I'm almost as excited for that as I am for Deadpool. We got a new Turtles film. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, when Rocksteady and Bebop showed up in that trailer at Star Wars, people went crazy. Like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> but we'll be doing all of that next year. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you. We haven't exactly gone through this series at hyperspeed, but I've enjoyed going through it with you two. Absolutely. And until next time, the podcast will be with you always.
I like Poe because of what the actor does. The character doesn't do shit. I like Ray because of what the actress does. The character does too much. I like Finn a lot, and he does the right amount of stuff. <laughs> Are we doing Goldilocks and the three beer? The three, three beers? beers? <laughs> I don't like know, but I'll take you up on that. <laughs> this one's too dark. This one's too light. Ah, now I can record now playing. Wow.